0: I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brainy. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to P.M.L. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about sling stuff. Am I going to get sued? Am I going legal on
1: this? I yeah, like football, like the football season, all the things that go with it.
0: Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're back reviewing all things week 14 in the NFL, live here on YouTube. Appreciate everybody who tunes in, and well, let's just get right into it. Okay. Sound good? Uh-huh. As we've been doing, we've been remembering Thursday Night Football. Remembering it. Yes. Yeah. Remember Thursday Night Football? I do. Ages ago? Yeah. Baker Mayfield fresh off the plane?
1: That's why I remember it.
0: 16-3, the Rams were down, but guess what? They came back to win 17-16, an identical comeback from the previous primetime game on Monday Night Football when the Bucks beat the Saints. Baker Mayfield with another legendary comeback, of course. The first one was the first time we saw him playing back in 2018.
1: Yeah, or, you know, another one, um, because the last guy to do it was Tom Brady. So somebody was pointing out that in the last two weeks, uh, the, or is it the last two weeks? Last couple of weeks, the Raiders It's the Raiders' last two losses. Yeah, have been against um, an ESPN analyst and the guy who didn't know the playbook. Or, in fact, how to get to the locker room from the st- in the stadium. There was a video of him, like, you know, once he'd done his TV interviews and all that kind of media responsibilities, wandering kind of aimlessly in the stadium be like, alright, where do I go?
0: Yeah.
1: Like, how do I get from Plus here?
0: Plus, he had no friends.
1: <laughs> that too. <laughs> It's like his first day of
0: school, doesn't know anybody. Yeah. You know, might know like one person from, you know, earlier in his career.
1: Yeah, I, I, mean, it, I mean, it is remarkable. Like, remember, John Walford started the game, weird as that is to believe, because um, it didn't seem like he had any shot at starting given his neck injury. Uh, obviously, that wasn't going to last very long. And then immediately, Baker Mayfield is now thrust into into action as the quarterback with – no idea what he's doing 48 hours since he he was signed uh or claimed on waivers apparently it came out that he just took a chance and booked a plane ticket to la thinking they might claim him because you know what the hell i'm rich anyway and you, you got to be ready yeah thursday so had the plane ticket ready but then it was like and this is one of those situations where you know previously in his career he's dealt with a lot of offensive systems chopping and changing for the first time it's actually been a benefit because this you know the were there's a familiarity between an old system and this system because they're related so that can't have hurt but ultimately you know you're talking about a guy in two days going from i don't know anything here to i can actually run a game ostensibly off a wristband um but apparently they weren't even calling plays from the wristband necessarily <laughs> like The fact that he was able to go out there run a functioning offense by and large like there were a couple of plays here and there where he turned the wrong way to you know for a handoff or whatever but it didn't look you know completely beyond the realms of understanding and then when it came down to it the kind of game-winning drive a 98-yard drive to actually win the game is crazy i mean it's genuinely absurd that that was able to happen yeah, so it was not only, hey, we've got this
0: situation where the the Rams are down two scores, and they, they, they scored their first touchdown, but the, the Raiders punt on fourth and one in their own territory. And I'm not regretting.
1: We mentioned this on the PFF NFL Daily. I don't think there's any regret with that punt. Though it is one that is very, like the analytics say, strong go for it. Yes. Because, so... You're one play away from winning. You are. And the point I made on the Daily um, is that... Look, the one thing that those numbers are not going to take into account is a quarterback on forty-eight hours' notice in the building. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no precedent for that. There's no way of baking that into your numbers. But the other thing is, even if you go for it and you don't get it, it's one play to, to win the game. Even if you don't get it and they score, you still have a lot of time on the clock to answer yourself. So there is, there's extra reasons for going for it. But I don't like. That's not the reason they lost. Yes, but the,
0: all, the, the thing that the analytics can account for is the quality of the Rams, right? I mean, Baker Mayfield hasn't played well in a while. He's thrown to Ben two Tutu Atwell, and Van Jefferson. Now, in the end, it was Van Jefferson with the game winner, 23-yarder, and all that stuff. But on the surface, it looks like, absolutely, the 2022 Rams, I'm going to make you go a long field. Mm-hmm. And not only was it a long field, it was 98 yards because it was you know down at the two. So... Baker Mayfield is John Elway. The drive. Baker Mayfield's version. Baker <laughs> Mayfield is John He's Elway. He's become John Elway. That's the other funny part about the whole Baker Mayfield conversation. Who knows where this goes, right? He could come back next week and... Stink. You know, look terrible. Yeah. Who knows? But there's... The the late game magic we had lamented has not been there in Baker Mayfield's career. Yeah. Over, you know, other than that first start, right? Well, not even a start. The relief appearance on Thursday Night Football back in 2018. He's had a lot of those... Comeback opportunities where it's like it's just missing throws, doesn't have the right field, takes a sack, whatever it might be. This was impressive by uh by Mayfield, but also by uh, Sean McVay, Liam Cohen, mm-hmm. our friend Zach Robinson, just getting him ready. Again, it was like Liam. And Liam's going to uh, to UK. Again. Which might uh might open up some, you know, rumors about why is the offensive coordinator of the Rams going to become offensive coordinator of the
1: Kentucky Wildcats yeah is Sean McVeigh gonna be there Sean McVeigh looks like he's aged 10 years this season I mean it happens to some of us sure I mean he's reaching that like he's reaching the age where what aging age? seems to happen very quickly like people reach that sort of late 30s period and all of a sudden you go from like you could pass for your 20s to wow you're an old man it happens in six months. It, it seems to have happened for Sean McVay this year, coinciding with you know the worst season of his NFL career uh, in terms of how his team is produced. All right, so the uh, so we'll see what happens there. Lots to talk about the Rams this off season,
0: I'm sure. But for now, the May- Baker Mayfield story is an interesting one. It is, and, next and then weeks. the other
1: the flip side of this is like just the Raiders are setting records for collapses this season, which yes. is a notable point, even in this world of, hey, they've suddenly turned around. Maybe Josh McDaniels isn't the worst head coach in NFL history. It's like, well, you are collecting quite a lot of these types of records, which are generally not good, you know? I believe there's a lot of stats for futility for the Raiders. We
0: mentioned how they've got, coming into this game, three blown leads of uh, X number of points, whatever it is, you Mm -hmm. know, something the Raiders had done like six times in their history, whatever that history was.
1: I think they're also 0-4 with a 13-point lead this year. Yeah. That's tough to do. It is. I mean, the the records they're setting are very difficult records to achieve, and yet they're, you know, clearing the bar with uh, room to spare. Oh, man.
0: It was also a a sleepy Thursday night game. I mean, you're just sleepwalking through this thing, and then all of a sudden it's like, 16-3, to all right, let's make it happen. Let's make some magic happen. Let's make some TV magic. That's what the Rams did. Devontae Adams, three catches, 71 yards. He has 64% of the Raiders receiving yards over the last two weeks. Hmm. Might be too much. Gonna spread the ball a little bit more in Vegas. Raiders fall to five and eight. Rams move to four and nine. All right, let's go. Uh, Cincinnati twenty-three. Cleveland ten. I keep starting with the Browns every week. Bengals move to nine and four. Browns fall to five and eight. Um, thoughts on this one? We've got um, interesting start to the game. By the way, T. Higgins, Bengals wide receiver, gets hurt during warmups and um, still played a snap. And apparently the story behind that is he snuck onto the field. He was declared out by the coaching staff. <laughs> and Higgins still snuck, uh, qu- quote by Zach Taylor, snuck onto the field. Mm-hmm. So he got a snap. Uh, Tyler Boyd ends up missing time due to injury.
1: So now we, we, you know, Jamar Chase just came back last week. And Higgins, like, his injury was a hamstring, right? Yeah. But can you imagine if he sneaks onto the field, plays a snap? wrecks the hamstring, and he's done for like a month? Makes it that much, yeah, hamstrings are one of those like, man, you just, if you run one route, sometimes it screws you up I for weeks. I hated hamstring injuries, because you didn't trust it for weeks after you did it. Well, you just weren't in great shape. I mean, well, I was a finely tuned sprinter, see, you know? Yeah. You couldn't, you, you would, you'd be afraid of opening it up and uh, never really had hitting a, those top speeds. Never had a hamstring injury. Yeah, it does shock me. Yeah, uh, you got a foam roll, keep things loose and everything. Well, so you've never reached a speed that requires a hamstring to go, you know? I, I, there is a video out there of me running some sprints on my street.
0: Yeah? Because we've got, you know, uh, like one of those, like a radar gun on the street, you know, don't go too fast. Yeah, yeah. So I was taking the trash out the other day and I was curious. I mm-hmm. wonder how fast I could run up the sidewalk here. Did you go fast enough to activate it? It's activated? Yeah, it's been activated. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well that's... I Maybe mean... I'll tweet that out, we'll see. It's a little embarrassing. But... You got a hit, you like got hit. Because like Matt Ryan hit, what did Matt Ryan hit? A couple of weeks ago? <laughs> We, it was we, like 17 or
1: something, wasn't it?
0: See, he's on turf. I'm on this uneven side. Our sidewalk's kind of trash. I mean, it's not really apples to apples, but no. Maybe we'll post. He's
1: also wearing pads and a helmet and carrying a football. So I was I was I mean, filming on to my, slow you down. I was filming on my cell phone. Okay, so that offsets
0: all of that. Yeah, the yeah. helmet. And the, I'll throw a helmet on and run <laughs> up the street. See what happens. Some pads. Maybe the second time of your life, you put a helmet on. So Let's not talk about it. Anyway, 23-10, to 10, Bengals win. Um, all that said, so all season we've been talking about how the Bengals are going to play without Jamar Chase when he was heard and Higgins stepped up, Tyler Boyd stepped up. Bengals, I mean, it wasn't a great game offensively, but um, you get Jamar, you know, had to focus on Jamar Chase. Ten catches for 119, a
1: sweet touchdown from Burrow to Chase in this one. You see just that enough touchdown, the by the way? Like, Chase didn't think the ball was coming. Justifiably so. He was in, like, double coverage, yeah. effectively. He just turned around, like... I've run my route now. Let's see what's happening on the play. He turned around like, oh, crap, the ball's here. You just had to catch it. Joe Burrow just decided to fire it into the window on the backside of the play anyway. Yeah, so I've mentioned that before. I was looking up big-time throws a few years ago,
0: and, and quarterbacks definitely have higher big-time throw rates to their top receivers, right? It's like you see this with Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson, the crazy trust that he has. Yeah. Cousins has these chuck and duck plays all the time that gets to Jefferson. I think Brady had this with Gronk, Big Ben with Antonio Brown. I mean, this is an example of it, right? Joe Burrow, you just have such ridiculous trust for your best
1: receiver, you're more willing to take those chances and, you know, throw that precision pass. It was so fascinating because it was the backside of the play. So he looked over play side, first read didn't like it. Checked backside and then just fired the ball into a tight window. I'm just I would love to know what happened in his brain during that split second of, let's check the backside, yep, fire it. Like, what was the yes? What, what would have been no, you know? If that was yes, what would have been a red light for that throw? The yes is, uh, is it Jamar Chase? Yes. Yeah. Make it happen. Fire it anyway. But yeah, Chase was not expecting that ball to arrive. Just looked back for what was happening, and the ball was almost on him. Had to catch it, scored a touchdown. Um... You know, Burrow made just enough plays. But this was the game that proved, I think we were talking about before this game, like, is this the Brown Burrow hadn't beaten the Browns five attempts since yeah. coming into the NFL. Um, this was the game, and we were discussing, is that real or is that just, you know, small sample variance, like, that can happen in the NFL? And it felt like, particular to this matchup, there is no good reason he should have lost a bunch of games to the Browns. And this was the game that kind of showed why. Because they went out there. DJ Reader had a phenomenal game up front again. So good. Man. Shut down the Browns run game. And all of a sudden, now you got to rely on Deshaun Watson trying to play like Deshaun Watson after a week coming back off a two-year layoff. Didn't really happen. Um, DJ Reader is arguably the best interior defensive lineman in the NFL this year if you just look at the plays where he's been healthy. So, like, first three or four weeks of the season, he was the best defensive lineman in the game then he gets hurt misses a bunch of time comes back isn't quite 100 obviously he doesn't play at the same level and then this week appeared to be back It's like, well if you just take this week and the first few weeks before he got hurt nobody's playing better than dj reader
0: yeah i mean when you look at um nick chubb ends up with 14 carries for 34 yards that's 2.4 yards per attempt that has to be like a record futility for nick chubb Oh, yeah. I mean, DJ Reader was at the forefront or just in the middle of every negative play. I mean, negative as in unsuccessful play for the Browns. Reader with, um, you know, two gapping, low leverage with quicks. You run away from him. He was beating the backside uh, guard and tackle, beating double teams, getting in on plays. DJ Reader was absolutely spectacular in this game. So it it does make the Browns one-dimensional. And they're just not ready to do it yet, right? Like when Donovan Peoples Jones has a little bit of separation, Watson m- missing throws, Watson's interception by um, uh, the, to Jesse Bates. He's just late. He's mm. got. A, he's just got a crosser. He's just sitting he's there, and back. the timing's off. It, it wasn't. Was... It wasn't a bad read. It was late. And, late, and you're just seeing enough of those plays from Watson that show he, he either he's not good anymore or he's just he's not back yet.
1: Yeah, I think it's rust. I mean, there were a couple of moments of magic. There was a third and eight just before that bad interception where he made he converted third and eight like in the grasp in the pocket you know gets the ball away and converts like there were a couple plays in there like okay yeah there was some he's still there but this idea of how long is the rust going to last from a two-year layoff it's more than a week yeah i I mean oh you i they definitely would have been better in the last two weeks if jacoby Brissett had been the quarterback and that's, it's by true. the way, like, Brissette came in as the, je- the designated short yardage quarterback in this game, and they let him throw into the end zone on fourth and one for some reason. Have you noticed that happening more this year, by the way? Like, third and fourth and very short, teams are taking shots. Throwing it deep. Yeah. It's like, that feels like a out very... It worked out for uh, Russ and the Broncos yesterday. Like, it'll work out every now and again, but just, like, deep balls, period, are a very low percentage play. Like, by definition, those feel like not the play to call when you're trying to convert particularly fourth and one because yeah, it's do or die like the whole point in that play but the defense knows you only need one yard no i know but like it, but it's it's a very low percentage play against like even against air you know what i mean it's not you need like a better than 50 50 chance of making this for it to even be worth running the play and the second you introduce any form of defender into the equation it's probably not that so it's just a bad call yeah. Anyway, they they let Jacoby take a shot. He he airmailed it by a mile, and they didn't get it. Um, the The game that kind of put it out of reach too. The Bengals
0: run a flea flicker. Trenton Irwin running wide open through the defense. I had uh, complimented Josh McDaniels and the Raiders for running a flea flicker out of the shotgun mm. last week, and that was what the uh, that was what the Bengals did. Little inside zone flea flicker. Browns bite on it, and it's a, a free touchdown for forty five yards. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a great offensive performance all across the board for the Bengals, but big plays like that, Jamar Chase in more of a possession type role, not just a big play role. Uh, They adjusted, man. They adjusted to not having Higgins, not having Boyd. And again, I think I I said, this game is huge for the Bengals, not just for this season, but uh, to me, that Zach Taylor, the team, just how could they, could they have, could they just take care of business in a, in a game that had been uh, a bit of a, you know, you know I mean, trap game, I guess? I mean, they had struggled in trap type of games, right? Coming off of high highs. And, and to me, just like a subtle 23 to 10 win for the Bengals is, is
1: really good for just the long-term prospects of the, of the Joe Burrow era. Yes, the, the Bengals are kind of in the midst right now of doing what the Titans did last year. Remember when they went on that run in the middle of the season where they were just knocking off team after team after team, and each one of which was a, a sort of statement game, and they were stacking them one after the other. You're like, okay, it's, at some point it becomes very difficult to argue against that. Well, they are now on a run of, uh, where well, they're 9-4, and four, right? Um, they're on this crazy run of wins. They've got one, two, three, four more games after this. So, like, they could be... They could be on a run of nine straight wins, right, heading into the playoffs, potentially as a number one seed if they win out, having knocked off teams like Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Kansas City, Cleveland, Tampa Bay, New England, Buffalo, and Baltimore consecutively. I mean, they would be the, they would, at that point, if all that works out, they would be Super Bowl favorites from the AFC, right? You wouldn't favor anybody else over them at that stage. If they've beaten every good team? Well, if they've beaten every good team consecutively and they're on like a nine-game win streak heading into the postseason as the number one seed, at the very minimum, you would be saying, Kansas City isn't thrilled about the prospect of going back to Cincinnati to see if they can make it four in a row. Buffalo probably doesn't want to face them again, having lost to them in week 17. Like, nobody else, like, they would be the favorite. It's all ahead of them. It's all ahead of the Bengals here. Again, another impressive
0: win. Loved watching DJ Reader play football with Deshaun Watson and the Browns. I don't know uh, when he'll when he'll look right or whatever on the field, but this wasn't it yet. Other than like you said, a couple plays where you saw you saw some of that magic. I just also want to shout out Jadavian Clowney. He has a batted pass that leads to an, leads to an interception. Miles Garrett had some incredible rushes in this game. Like the Browns, they did what they could as far as their their edge rushers go, but it still wasn't enough. I mean, and, and again, impressive for the for the Bengals. There were some times Miles Garrett just ran right by Jonah Williams and. Didn't matter, right? There was only you know a couple negative plays in there for the Bengals. Having Jamar Chase throw in the fourth quarter and taking a sack may have been a mistake, but
1: yeah. You know. With hindsight, would you do anything different from the Browns' perspective at quarterback? And by the way, I mean I'm talking like during the season, as opposed during. to trading for the the guy with the 23 lawsuits and blah blah blah. No, I wouldn't. Because I mean, the problem is they'd kind of reach the seat the. The point where they needed a hail mary to rescue the season, anyway. But I yeah,
0: like if if the Browns were, what? They're five and eight now. I mean, if they were, if they had seven wins or something like that, and yeah. you'd be like, all right, do I, do I go with like a two QB system for a little pretty, bit? You would yeah. consider it, but I mean, their best bet for success is Deshaun Watson plays well. You got to let him finish the season. But I think it's pretty clear year. that
1: Jacoby Brissett is better right now, and. If you needed, like, the idea was Deshaun Watson comes back and rescues the season. I mean, he's not doing that if he's worse.
0: Uh, I don't think that was the idea. The idea was our starting quarterback's back. He just plays when he plays. I don't think we're looking at the flow of the season for that.
1: Yeah, but the point, like, if he's, if it's going to take him, the point being, if he's not going to get better now, like, he's, you go with the guy who's giving you the best chance to win the game, and if that's Jacoby this season, because apparently it's going to take Watson a month to get up to speed, there's no point in playing Watson this year. No, that wouldn't do
0: anything differently. I didn't think they'd make the playoffs anyway. Wow. I mean, once Watson came back, it's a, it's a long shot. They would have to go on a run. They, they, they All right,
1: you know, It's fine. You don't need to justify they could go on a run. to me.
0: The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com PFF. Shout out to Western Southern here. Western and Southern studio here in our hometown of Cincinnati. Powering the whole thing. All right, let's go. We'll stay in the AFC North because they all played uh, the ball pit game. The ball. ball pit game. Yeah, Baltimore Ravens at the Pittsburgh Steelers. No, I got it. Yeah, yeah. straight very clever. Ravens 16, Steelers 14. Tyler Huntley got the start, goes 8-for-12 eight for 88 yards, ends up injured at the end. Anthony Brown has got, to come in.
1: Yeah, we, it was a game of <laughs> almost a game of two backups and then fa- led to the backups of the backups yeah. later in the game.
0: Yeah, QB threes. Yeah. Kinda, well, QB twos and threes. Uh, Mitch Trubisky has to come in for Kenny Pickett. Pickett had uh, a couple scrambles, gets sacked. Concussion, came back after the head injury mm. for a couple for a couple plays, right? Yeah. And then finally taken out of the game. So Trubisky got most of the action for the Steelers. Huntley was in for most of the game for the Ravens. Um, and then was J.K. Dobbins makes his return. First time since week four. 15 carries for 120 yards, including a nice 44-yard touchdown. The Ravens' run game was excellent in this one.
1: It was, which it kind of needed to be, um, because as much as there may not have been a dramatic drop-off between Lamar and Tyler Huntley in the offense, there's a massive drop-off between Tyler Huntley and Anthony Brown. Um, like they, So first of all, I'm curious, did the Baltimore acquisition of Roquan Smith appears to have been fairly transformational for that defense? Um, like Roquan was the guy that sacked... Pickett, tosses him into the turf, bounce his head off the ground, concussion. Um, but that play was like a Vikings look under Mike Zimmer. You know, they stack both linebackers in the A-gaps and then confuse you as to what's going to go on the play. Like uh, Patrick Queen was the guy that ended up blitzing right up the A-gap. They confused the protection. The protection didn't pick it up. He was the guy that flushed Kenny Pickett out of the pocket. And then Roquan Smith loops around to grab him when he's trying to escape the into right field, slams him to the turf. Patrick Queen got himself an interception. I think Roquan had a pick as well. Um, like those two guys somehow combined are are worth dramatically more than the sum of each one of them as individual players before they were put on the same defense. It's one of the things I have on my
0: list to study late here in the season or early offseason, which is about um, essentially like player types and fits. Because we've talked about Roquan on the, on the Bears being in the zone-heavy scheme and kind of struggling against the run and, you know, just didn't really live up to his potential on a play-for-play basis. But I don't think, especially at linebacker, I don't, that that, I don't think that means, all right, well, this guy's never going to be good, right? I think the Ravens looked at him and said, we can do something with him. We could do, we can do yeah.
1: something different. We, we run a different scheme. We can could protect him good, more in the run game. Yeah, even you could see always good see plays. good on his tape. Like, Absolutely. He was always a guy where even when he was grading badly, you could throw on the tape and immediately you could see, all right, he's still making good plays. So I think what this has done, I
0: mean, the Ravens just adding, so the way the Ravens have built their team, I think they've done a great job investing in the secondary, right? With the Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphreys of the world, Marcus Williams at safety, who also returned, by the way, had an interception. Um, Kyle Hamilton, like all the investment that they've made from back to front, they've gone high volume at edge. And I think just adding Roquan Smith and, and Patrick Queen, really three years ago, Queen finally starting to have some high-end games the Ravens have just added so much athleticism to their linebacking core now over the last couple years and Roquan helps kind of put them over the top and it's almost like they're it's just I'm overly simplifying but it's like they're chasing high-end plays like what we saw yesterday when you have these athletic linebackers yeah they might be out of position every now and then but you can have a big play on a blitz athletic plays in coverage that turn the ball over And, and I think the reward has been there for the Ravens. Patrick Queen making big plays so they both had interceptions yesterday and as you mentioned I mean uh, Patrick Queen's almost blitzed 100 times this year. he's at 90 so far? Anytime you're over 100, that's like pretty high for a linebacker. So they're using these guys to uh to create havoc up front and we're starting to see that in Baltimore.
1: Yeah, it's it's like the blitzing thing. It's almost like that's the game plan for off the ball linebackers you don't love in coverage. The Devin White thing? Like, how do we get him out of coverage as much as humanly possible? Well, that send him on the blitz a lot. Get him after the quarterback. Yeah. Now, Devin White happens to be amazing at that, so it sort of it doubles the uh, the impact of that. But it does appear to be the the go-to if you don't necessarily trust a, an off-the-ball linebacker in coverage.
0: So, so yeah, to me, that's been really impressive for the Ravens. And then, yeah, J- J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, the one-two punch, they were fantastic. They had uh, they combined for 10, 10 rushing first downs. And... Um, Dobbins again had that 44 yard run well blocked up front Cameron Hayward blown gap on that one Tyler Lindebaum looking good the rookie center in the run game I had mentioned on the preview show that the Ravens the Steelers had been having success on the ground I didn't love this matchup against the Ravens and you saw that right when Mm -hmm. Trubisky the Steelers became this one-dimensional offense again which they had been pretty much for the better part of two years other than the last couple weeks they'd showed sides of life with the run game it was not there in this one, and then Trubisky has this weird game where he's either making a big-time throw, like more explosive plays than we've seen for a while from the Steelers, and then turn-of-worthy plays where he's just throwing the ball to linebackers and safeties.
1: It was exactly the same as when Kenny Pickett came in for Trubisky initially, which was immediately there's a spark to the offense, and this would be great right up until you keep making a hideous decision and throwing the ball to the defense. Like, if you could just cut that out of the game and keep the spark part... We'd be moving somewhere. I it, it's probably not a good sign that both quarterbacks have shown the exact same thing in relief of the other one, which is an immediate sort of difference. Right up until you make a glaringly bad decision that, you know, undermines all the good you did. Like Trubisky was doing exactly that. He, he provided something. He made a couple of big plays. He was let down by his receivers at some point. Um, you know, made a nice play where he was scrambling to his left, put it over the middle, and the guy drops it. And then, like, the but the turnover plays were terrible. Yeah, I mean, you can't
0: take those out. That's Those were game changers. There was a late touchdown to Pat Friermuth to get within the two points, but the Ravens ran out the clock. Again, I do believe Lamar Jackson is a force multiplier for the run game.
1: Definitely, right? yeah.
0: But he, even with him not in there, you have a game like this where Gus Edwards goes 13 carries for 66, Dobbins goes 15 for 120. So even if you take out the 44-yarder, really efficient for J.K. Dobbins, the Ravens being able, being able to run for 200-plus yards. Huntley is a good runner. He's not Lamar. I mean, obviously, we just these, these are obvious statements. But the Ravens still being able to move the ball on the ground, win up front, was huge in this game. And uh, I know they sneak by 16-14, to 14, but it's an important win for them. They're also 9-4, and four, tied with the Bengals atop that division. And um, we'll see what happens with uh, the quarterback situation. Lamar's still probably going to miss some more time. We'll see what happens with Huntley going forward here for the Ravens
1: yeah they're they're doing a good job of clinging on um to these wins despite not necessarily playing their best stuff like this was a game where they were clearly better than Pittsburgh for the entirety of it but then Huntley goes down the undrafted rookie comes in and it's like and the, the game had never gotten you know more than like a score away so you're like it doesn't take much for this game to immediately go back the other direction
0: all right that's uh so baltimore 16 pittsburgh 14 let's go buffalo bills 20 new york jets 12 bills win move to 10 and 3 again still sitting atop the afc in line for the number one seed if they can win out jets fall to seven and six still number seven seed in the afc but being crept. or did the chargers overtake them i forget chargers
1: the overtake record. them if they win okay Just last so night so they sh- they are at their head
0: was that a teaser like if the chargers win you sure. We'll talk about yeah. it later on the show. And, we'll find and out. New
1: England can jump both of them if they win tonight. Yeah, so the,
0: char- the Jets um, starting to get into dangerous territory with some dangerous games coming up. But the Bills get their revenge at home. Little snow. And was there a freezing
1: rain coming down at times? It was yeah, just it was a lot of precipitation weird. here. Yeah, a lot of cold precipitation that defies definition in this game.
0: Which, by the way, we do have some Saturday night games this week. Um, we have to work an extra day here. Sweet. Dolphins, Bills, in prime time this Saturday. In the cold? Yeah. The Bills, I mean, if, if the Dolphins put the Bills on the sideline with 120-degree mm. sun, like, the Bills should should dial up some
1: 40-mile-an-hour 40 40 winds and think snow and ice. You should be allowed, as long as it's, well, okay, Miami even, che- like, cheated this. I, it feels like you should be allowed, the home field advantage should be real, right? Didn't we cover this? A Do whatever shows? you want. It's your stadium, right? Make it as miserable as humanly possible for everybody. Yeah. That's that's your prerogative. If you want, like to make Jerry it...
0: should be able to change where the sun is, is <laughs> depending on which Focus way you're going. Focus the light. Yeah.
1: Get <laughs> giant. Like when the Cowboys are going one, one
0: way, you just you
1: could put the window up. And then you change the window and yeah, like direct the, the sun into the eyes of the receivers. The windows at one end of the stadium effectively act as a giant magnifying glass. You just slowly cook the opposition quarterback. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Um, so this game
0: was slow uh, just before the half. It was 0-0. Zero zero. Uh, no score just before the half. Josh Allen hits Dawson Knox for a 24-yard touchdown. The scoring started to open up a little bit in the second half. Zonovan Knight's been fantastic as you know third, fourth string running back for the Jets here. Another big game for him um some other weird weird stuff in the second half blocked punt for a safety for the jets to move it to 20 to 9 but um jets just couldn't do enough in the uh in the comeback attempt here yeah and mike white man tough as
1: nails gets smoked a couple times here he really did this was a game where i think a few things happened buffalo demonstrated that they're a better team than the Jets. the Jets, though, demonstrated that they are a legit team themselves, as long as they don't have Zach Wilson, a quarterback. Um, those two things, I think, are true at the same time. Josh Allen didn't have a particularly good game, but had a bunch of plays in there where you're like, okay, Josh Allen is still impossible to defend. Like, when he takes off and starts running, it's just it's just impossible to stop him dead. You can't hit him... And end the play right then, because if he takes to the air or if he makes a slight move, you know anything that avoids a full head-on direct impact shot, he's just so freaking big that he's going to careen forward for a couple of yards while you're taking him down, and it's you can't stop that. So if it's short yardage or if he's you know running to get ten yards and you can only stop or you can only make contact after eight he's probably going to pick up the first down, and that is so valuable. Now, it's also dangerous. I mean, at some point, one of those hits where he, you know, gets hit by a guy and then gets hit by another guy when he's in midair and spins over the, you know, one of those at some stage feels like it's going to injure him. But until it does, it's incredibly valuable for that offense to keep picking up first downs. This
0: is what I'm wondering with the the Allen thing, right? We we always talk about big, durable quarterbacks, and mm. I like to poo-poo that idea you at do. times, right? Um, but is Allen going to defy that trend? Because it, historically, it's not necessarily big, strong quarterbacks who stay durable. It's ones who avoid hits, right? It's Tom Brady. It's Drew Brees. It's guys who don't get hit. Patrick Mahomes has a much better feel for not taking hits. Yeah, and It's not even a feel thing. Like, Allen initiates contact. Cam Newton was big, strong, durable, but there's a point in his career where it's too much. Big Ben was durable in the sense that he got hurt a lot and bounced back from it. He was tough, but the first part, he got hurt a lot because he took a lot of hits early on. Andrew Luck, say what you want about his offensive line, the dude hold the, held the ball forever. He took a lot of hits. So the big, durable quarterback, at some point, those, those hits catch up. But for now, boy, do I like watching Josh Allen play. I,
1: but I would almost ask it a different question, which is is it worth it? Like, this is the thing. I think it's almost, I think it's inevitable at some point, one of those hits is going to injure Josh Allen and that will be a big negative, right? But, kind of like the Rams where all you're interested in is is the Super Bowl. So, you could argue that this year is the consequence of everything the Rams did to win that ring. But they won the ring, so it doesn't matter. The, The Josh Allen thing, the reason you pay him all the money, the reason you get him to do all the things he can do is because it's unstoppable. So, Right now, there's no other quarterback in the NFL, maybe, that can do some of the things he's doing, at which point that gives you an advantage over every other team in the NFL that they can't bring to the table. So D- Debo Samuel gets injured yesterday, right? Did you see Jerry Rice tweeting out that, can we stop running our skill position players up the middle? Because we're getting hurt, right? Because Debo's down. Anyway, whatever. The point being, okay, yes, Debo's chances of getting injured reduced dramatically if you just say go back to being conventional wide receiver you're not going to run the ball as a running back you're not going to but but doing that is what makes Debo so impossible to defend the fact that he can do all those different things causes problems to a defense above and beyond simply having a running back do this and a wide receiver do this and same with Josh Allen the fact that he can do what he does right now makes him so much harder to defend and would you dramatically reduce the chances that he gets injured, which, by the way, hasn't happened yet. Yes, if you just told him to stand in the pocket, pretend he's Tom Brady, right? Get rid of the ball immediately. Don't take a hit. Preserve yourself. Yes, he would. the chances of him getting injured reduces dramatically. But he would also be easier to defend if you did that. So at some point, it's a risk-reward calculation of is it worth exposing him to these hits because the payoff is we become a lot harder to stop on offense. And I think at some stage you have to say, look, this is what makes this guy so special. You have to just accept the risk that comes with it.
0: Yeah, I think you have to lean into it. And yesterday is an example, right? Because we always use the phrase, the the running quarterback raises the floor of your offense, right? The floor for yesterday's Bill's offense could have been really low because they ended up with 130 net passing yards. 147 yards for Allen, gets sacked three times for negative 17 yards, right? So usually if your quarterback throws for a buck 30 against a pretty good defense, you might score three points. You might score six points. But the fact that Allen can convert, what was it, third and 15, where he picked up 16 in that play Mm -hmm. you are talking about, where he can convert those third and 15s that shouldn't be there. You can run QB counter on the five-yard line for a five-yard touchdown run. Yep and he finishes with the, the most rushing yards on the team. It was only 47, but again, you're stealing a few first downs. You're stealing a touchdown here and there. The floor of the Bills offense in a game where the conditions are tough, the Jets are playing tough cover, tight coverage. It felt like every throw was a just miss, right? Like he's kind of making good throws that could have been caught, but he's. and then there's other tight window throws that he's just missing. It raises the floor of the Bills offense. So yeah, you lean into it. That's what makes Josh Allen special, but you also have to know I don't care how big and strong you are if you do continue to take head-on hits I'm not saying just rushing attempts I'm saying Josh Allen's playing a physical brand of football like Gronk at tight end a physical brand of football and um, at some point it could catch up to you but for now it's fun to watch and it's it's important for the Bills it's what makes them well-rounded I still like the games where they can hand it off a little bit more and take some pressure off him but in in a key division game a team that beat you
1: just a few weeks ago you you rely on Josh Allen to make those plays. Um, And then you mentioned it earlier, Mike White getting repeatedly smoked by Bill's defenders. First one gets buried by Ed Oliver coming up the middle, uh, leaves the game for a couple of plays, comes back. Um, Joe Flacco, by the way, in the few plays that he managed to be on the field, demonstrated why you go with Mike White for the rest of the the run. Um, And then gets drilled again, Matt Milano, tees off on him, drills him in the ribs. Again, like misses, I think, a couple of snaps, comes back. Like, (laughs) plays out the game, is immediately sent to hospital to check that, like, everything on the inside is still working. Just such a weird contrast in the NFL yesterday. On the one hand, you've got Mike White getting repeatedly annihilated in the ribs, through a rib protector, by the way. Like, he was wearing one of those flak jackets and still took shots that needed to be hospitalized just to check everything on the inside was still where it was supposed to be. And then on the other hand, you get Sunday Night Football where Jalen Phillips, like, falls on a dude, and we're like, nah, we are got to flag that, I'm afraid. That's, uh, <laughs> that's not going to work. So it's just a wild, you know,
0: contrast. I know you're not asking for these to be considered roughing uh, penalties, right? No, you're not asking. Not at that. all. I, in fact, applaud the fact that this is still possible. Because he just got era. hit hard. I mean, a lot of times penalties are just like, did it look bad? Did you get hurt? Yeah. Did you get hit? And by the um, way, so... It was so, good.
1: These were clean hits. Particularly the Milano one, if I'm remembering it correctly. Like, he teed off on the dude's ribs which for Mike White sucks on the other hand so somebody was complaining that the Keanu Neal hit yesterday where he got like a free-run blitz off the side ear holes the quarterback and when I say ear hole him, I mean like literally, like his helmet, with helmet the, the crown of his helmet yeah. connected with the ear hole of the other guy's helmet. And that's why it was a penalty. And people were whinging about that, being like, what do you expect him to do? What is he supposed to do? Well, he's supposed to do exactly what Milano did, which is aim about a foot lower, that's where it. you get to tee off on the guy's ribs instead of his head. By the way, Matt Milano every
0: week it's like we get this uh, hey matt milano was awesome this week and some, sometimes our grades don't match up this was that matt milano game that everybody's always talking about a couple pass breakups great plays as a blitzer was much better against the run than he normally is he was all over the place making plays for the Bills. so impressive job by matt milano we've talked a lot about von miller being gone i think gregory rousseau stepped, stepped up, up made really some did. plays right batted pass which is
1: huge for them and yeah. him like they without von miller Gregory Rousseau is the guy that needs to become the alpha in that pass rushing group and he did in this game big one for him and I just want to shout out Garrett
0: Wilson once again six catches 78 yards all six catches go for a first down once again a slick route runner and he's also got like one of those one of the I think the first play where Mike White got hurt right he hit Garrett Wilson connected right what a beautiful throw Wilson's another one of those receivers I feel like just makes the receiver that much more confident. Even though I've got somebody bearing down on me, I know really is I like know Diggs. he's going to be there uh, where he's supposed to be. And w- unbelievable job by Gary Wilson and by Mike White
1: on that play as well. Wilson becoming that true number number one wide receiver. And like Diggs, he's also better at the catch point than a guy of his size feels like he should be. Yeah, for sure. So oh, by the way, did, did you see one thing I wanted to mention? This game, the, the you know. I've been whinging a lot recently. <laughs> about guy, about recently? Yeah, yeah. About teams overcomplicating fourth and one, right? Yeah. The double cheek push, as we know, is unstoppable. So as long as it is, keep running it until somebody figures out how to stop it, and yet teams aren't. They're running all kinds of idiotic stuff and getting stuffed. So the Bills, did you see this play? They did the thing where you know you put the tight end in motion behind the it's fourth and short fourth and one you put the tight end in motion then he runs up under sender snaps the ball and drives over right it's like uh it's the surprise sneak not by the quarterback so they did this except they didn't snap it so dawson knox goes in motion gets under the sender and then the entire jets defense basically leaps over the pile to tackle him only they never snapped it so defensive offside first down like you didn't have to do anything I would I would just keep putting different players under center different to, yeah. to jump I just because because the way that play works is you put him in motion and then he immediately runs under center snaps it as a surprise and drives over and you get the sneak like they did that everything except snap the ball And C.J. Mosley, I think in particular, literally leapt over the pile (laughs) to tackle Dawson Knox. only they didn't snap the ball. So you just got a free first down. Genius play. That's the first one of these where I think the overcomplication was actually incredibly smart, and I applauded it. I'll tell
0: you what I'm sad about. Yeah? Week one, 2021, Bills, Bills Steelers, when the Bills ran the fake QB sneak pitch play. Remember Josh Allen kind of burrowed into the line and then yeah. turned an overhand backwards pitched pitched it, and I think it got dropped or whatever. It went for negative seven. I'm very sad that that play didn't work the first time. I think that was the first that was the first time I've seen it. I think it was the first time it had been tried. Nobody's gone back to that well. I I, I think there's. I think there's uh, a future with it. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Like think about it, the Eagles. You fake the double cheek push and then the running back <laughs> veers out into like a little bubble screen or something. Because they get low. They're like, dude, yeah. we're, we're playing Army-Navy, right? Army-Navy this week. We're playing, we're playing uh, legit like Stanford football, right? Every, everybody's low. Hertz is low, right? Burrows in there a little bit and then pops up, dumps mm. it off, Wait for the playoffs. It's yeah. happening. It's happening.
1: That's when you're going for the big play. I just think. I would so do that now, on third and one, you know? The problem is this probably only works once. But the one time it worked, well done. Yeah. Keep the
0: trickeration on fourth and one that you love. No, stop. Even though best ball mania has ended, Underdog Fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their Pick'em game. Just look at your favorite or least favorite player stats, pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your Pick'em entry, get all your picks right, and you'll take home. Some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Sign up with promo code PFF. And Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy. Promo code is PFF. Get in on the action today. All right. Where are we going next here? Let's go Philadelphia Eagles 48, New York Giants 22. The Eagles with another statement game here. Dominant performance from start to finish. Eagles move to 12 and 1. Giants fall to 7 5 and 1. Yeah, they all 7 5 and 1. As you predicted. (laughs) You felt like through 14 weeks the Giants would be 7 5 and 1. Of course. Um, Man, the Eagles, once again, they just win all over the place. Big plays in the past game. You got a 41 yard touchdown to Devontae Smith, a 33 yarder to A.J. Brown. You've got uh, the the Hertz factor. He got his seventy-seven yards on the ground and a score. Miles Sanders running away with a forty-yard touchdown in there. He had two touchdowns. So the Eagles rush for over two hundred fifty yards at eight a pop. Hurts, uh, very effective as a as a passer. Maybe two of his best throws actually fall incomplete. So it was yeah. a really good game for Jalen Hertz. Hertz was dialed in. And, and if you're the Giants, you know what did I, I think I said on the pregame show? Like you, need, if if you're going to win this game, you got to you have to dial up the game that the commanders had a couple weeks ago which is get three yards a pop and just keep the ball away from the eagles well no saquon barkley was completely slowed down nine carries for 28 yards the giants rushing stats didn't take off until tyrod taylor came in and scrambled or gary brightwell came in what you know so it wasn't like the eagles just dominated from start to finish
1: yeah i mean the when the eagles have these games it's very difficult to see how they don't waltz to the nfc title um, and, and be become the NFC's representative in the Super Bowl. Like, we know what Hurts can do on the ground. We know the rushing threat. He becomes the first quarterback ever, by the way, to rush for 10 touchdowns in two consecutive seasons. Um, we're going to start seeing
0: that, right? You've got with the Lamars yeah. and Hurts and, all, and J- Justin Fields. Like, we're seeing QB
1: rushing right. b- records broken like crazy. But the more important part is like what he looked like as a passer because he just he was almost flawless in that first half in particular he was just nailing everything and as you said like his receivers had three drops in the first half he was getting let down by his receivers as much as they were making plays for him there was more meat on the bone on top of what the eagles were doing which was basically unstoppable against one of the more difficult defenses to have a good game against not that they're a great defense but because they're so blitz heavy and they do unusual things. It's just difficult to have your best game against the Giants, is yep. all I'm saying. So for Philadelphia to come out there and just lay waste to everything that was in front of them on that side of the ball, it's just so impressive. Like, again, without Dallas Goddard there, like, they're not 100%. Okay, pretty much nobody is at this point in the season. But, man, they look so impressive. I think the thing I'm most impressed with, with
0: Hertz, remember his early. I mean, there was some. When they had a big lead, he took a couple sacks and negative plays, whatever. But early in Hurts' career, there was a spark, right? The the offense, I think it was, what, 2020? There was a spark for the Eagles, their offense, late in the season. And then, but he also had a ton of turnover-worthy plays. And there was a bunch of plays like, man, why are you leaving a clean pocket? Like, why are you you playing um, outside of structure when you're not supposed to? Or whatever it might be. Right now, I feel like there's a purpose in everything Jalen Hurts is doing. Mm-hmm. He's playing outside of structure when it's time. He's making his plays from the pocket when they're there. And the Eagles, just old school, simple football, right? When you do run the ball that effectively, you're going to get single high coverages. When you ha- and when they have single high coverages, they have guys who can win down the field. I mean, it's, that's me oversimplifying the fact that they've got this uh, versatile run game, They've got a dominant offensive line and they did win yesterday up front really badly against the Giants. Giants missing Leonard Williams and the Eagles just won up front. But when they get single high, you have a play like the Devontae Smith one where the safety, yeah, maybe misplays it a little bit. But you have a single high safety and you're taking those shots. I mean, that's what I like about the Eagles offense is they have answers to everything and they set up their deep shots and they're willing to take their deep shots. You know, and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith will win. Hertz knows when to run. Hertz knows when to take the underneath stuff. So a lot of things working really well in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah. I mean, can't be more impressed with the development and growth of Jalen Hurts right now as quarterback for the Eagles. Um, I can't believe we've gone this far into this game without you bringing up the Brandon Graham game. Three sacks. This is the game that would make you win your bet, except you were cowardly and uh, ended it. The Brandon Graham yearly annual ten. He's got sack nine bet. official. He's got
0: nine official sacks. One negated by penalty. Uh huh. But this is the game. He might end on nine. He might might not
1: win this bet. There's Alternatively, four. Alternatively, he might get his ten sacks for the first time in years, and you oh, would have won I Forgot to auto renew the bet. No, no, no. You didn't forget to I auto renew it. It we we determined the listeners determined that the bet does auto renew every year. Unless specified otherwise. And you specifically. Well, the listeners should trump what I think, right? No. You overruled them. You said, no, I'm out. I have lost faith in Brandon Graham as a 10 sack artist. And now he's going to get it. Well,
0: let me just say 2022. Not a great year for me
1: being right. Oh, <laughs> well, it wasn't a bad week for you this week, though, right? I mean, what well, wasn't bad? How many wins did you get? Under 500. Still? I think so. One, two, three, four, uh, yeah, five five wins. That's not great. Like, I've had worse weeks.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Four or five worse weeks, to be
1: honest. Many. Maybe more. Yeah.
0: So I was wrong on Brandon Graham again. He was very good. Josh Sweat uh, dominated Andrew Thomas for a sack. Evan Neal struggled at right tackle. And then the Eagles beat up the Giants' backup tackles as well. Mm. Matt Parrott, Tyree Phillips. That was where uh, Brandon Graham had an impressive one. So, yeah, there was... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Dominant up front for the Eagles as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other element of this is as impressive as Philadelphia's offense is, it's almost always matched by how impressive the defense is as well. Like, they're genuinely a complete team, and when they're firing, it's very difficult to see other teams living with them.
0: So, yeah, I got the Eagles being really good. Can't wait for that game against Dallas in a couple weeks. I know Dallas didn't look great. Let's get to the Cowboys. Cowboys 27 Texans twenty three. Um, so, what do you make of? We we all have just have high expectations, right? I think if you're a fan watching games, I think every fan wants their team to look like the Eagles right now, where they have most games in hand. They're twelve and one. They win every type of way or whatever. Because um, there's even questions. I think Josh Allen even fielded a question like, "Are you guys are you guys really Super Bowl contenders? You're not ready for the? I forget the way it was positioned." And it's like, hey, we just won a game where 10 and 3 were the number one seed. It's not as flashy. It's not where we want it to be. But like when you get into the playoffs, it I mean, does it matter that you, you know, didn't dominate the Jets in a December game? Does right. it really matter? Um, so I'll ask that question with the Cowboys coming off a game where they just hand it to the Colts 54 to 19. This one, a lot of stuff went bad for the Cowboys. Texans had this game, had an opportunity here. To pull the major upset, the one 10 ten, one ten, and one Texans. But the Cowboys escaped. They moved to ten and three. They win twenty-seven to twenty-three over the Texans. If you're a Dallas fan, is this concerning that you played down to the Texans?
1: Uh, not. I mean, it's concerning because like Houston shouldn't have been anywhere near success in this game. I don't think it really matters. Like again, once you get to January football, except Maybe with Dallas it does simply because like, like every year this is Dallas, right of hey nothing nobody in the world wants anything as much as Jerry Jones wants another Super Bowl so he can prove that like he's the genius behind the whole thing rather than Jimmy Johnson, and every year it's like, yeah, I really feel like this 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 team can win a Super Bowl, you're like, yeah, can they though um so because it's Dallas, everybody's immediately looking for. You know, what's the thing that's going to undermine them once you get to January? Because we all know Dallas isn't winning playoff games. It's just what they do. Um, So from that perspective, sure. But, like, this was a weird game where early it didn't look like Houston could stop anything Dallas wanted to do. And you're like, this is one of those games where it's going to be out of hand by halftime and we can just relax for the second half that the rest of it's meaningless. And then all of a sudden, you know, muffed punt, you set Houston up right at, in red like these are always those are the plays that are such backbreakers where you're like one team is dominating you force a punt you're about to field it and do it again you know mark down the field and rack up points and then you muff the punt they recover it and all of a sudden you've just given them a red zone chance and invariably they seem to score those for a touchdown so you're like that's like a, that's a seven point screw and it's not even that it's like a 14 point swing screw up because you were probably going to go down and score so that started this whole thing. Um, There's a muff punt. Then later, Dak intercepted in Dallas territory.
0: So Houston's taking advantage of these short fields yeah. given to them by the offense and special teams.
1: Houston, by the way, running a legitimate two-quarterback system. yeah, we, And not not the one that was starting the last couple of weeks. So well, we, we they got dabbled rid of in them.
0: that early in the season where Jeff Driscoll was randomly taking snaps.
1: Yeah, but it was like, it was sort of randomly taking snaps as part of a, you know, just like a, a quarterback, right? like a Taysom Hill thing, right? Like, that was their... It was... Jeff Driscoll was essentially their version of Taysom Hill. This was like a full... I think it was an even split. I think they both had 33 offensive snaps. Um, so they had, like, like a legit two-quarterback system, which is the first time I can remember that happening since, remember, the Cardinals had a, a two-quarterback system where they were desperately trying to salvage the career of Matt Leinart? And it was like, well, you can only function... Which one was he? Was he the red zone or the between-the-20s quarterback? And then Kurt Warner Probably was the Probably between one. the 20s. I don't remember. Right. But anyway, they were desperately trying to salvage Matt Leinart, and Kurt Warner did the difficult stuff, and then Matt Leinart was just trying to do the easy stuff, and then they eventually dumped that. Then Kurt Warner started doing all the stuff. Yeah, because it was, turns out Kurt Warner is a Hall of Famer, and Matt Leinart is not an NFL quarterback.
0: I mean, so this game, so you got Jeff Driscoll coming in. Jeff Driscoll unlocking Amari Rogers for a long touchdown. Yes. Uh... Amari, the former Packers third rounder, who's uh, now in Houston. Chris Moore with a huge game for the Texans. Try right? to take that catch away from him, those sons of... <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Everything's a catch. Everything's a catch. Um, but this was kind of the game. Like, we, were, we laid the Texans to rest last week. Yeah. On the Wednesday show, and we, we talked about this.
1: Well, uh, Wednesday show, we got a new eliminated team. Oh, Denver. Yeah. We might as well call our Wednesday
0: show just the Broncos show. Like every week, it's we're the talking autopsy about, show. Yeah, we're always talking about Denver every every Wednesday, though. From you know high knees on the plane to whatever it might be. So we'll have uh, we'll lay the Broncos to rest on Wednesday. But we talked about the Texans. Oh, there's nothing nothing good has come out of 2022. But then you get an effort like this. Effort was incredible. Obaaka Rockwell, you know, strip sacking and you know, getting to
1: Dak. If he did this every week, that would be reason for encouragement.
0: Yeah, and then so there was another Dallas interception in their first comeback attempt, right? Uh, Late, they're down three. Dak gets intercepted again. And the Texans just couldn't capitalize, man. They just, I mean, they did everything they could to be in this game and played hard and all that stuff, but Texans could not capitalize. Yeah, like everything went... And then they go for it on fourth and one. Was it, I'm sorry, fourth and four.
1: Yeah, That's what it was, like right? pretty much everything was going well for Houston, and they still couldn't 14. get over the finish line.
0: So there was a few of these yesterday in the games, Sam, where teams, and, and I, th- I think it's smart. We've talked about this a little bit before. Being Going up six is not as important as going up more than a score late in the game. So the, the Texans have a three-point lead. It's 23-20, to 20, and they go for it from the, uh, from the Dallas three fourth and goal from the three so their options are kick a field goal to go up six or go for this fourth and three after they just went and here's what's interesting to me they had third and one and rex burkhead lost two yards Mm. right and i've always said when a team has third and one and then they move back to fourth and longer than one are they more likely to turtle up and not go whatever uh lovey smith was not He, he was he was good um why
1: was rex burkhead getting carries by the way I don't know because you only had like two, and they were on those critical downs where they lost yardage. The alternative being Damian Pierce, who's been like one of the best running backs in the NFL at like gaining yardage and busting through tackles. I don't know this what year.
0: happened on that drive because Burkhead had negative three yards on two carries in that critical drive. Yes, late in the fourth. That's
1: what I'm saying. Like I why, don't know. why, why now? Why is now the Rex Burkhead hour? Injury, fatigue. I would hope the injury is the only thing that makes that justifiable.
0: I have no idea, but um. Texans run like what a sprint option or something like that they run some something with Driscoll where he only gets one yard instead of the three puts
1: Dallas at the two they also appeared was that the play where he appeared to run the wrong direction on the sprint option like everything went right and he went left yeah I think so yeah and then spun back right yeah
0: only got one Uh uh-huh not great um so then you know once again we need a 98 yard must have a touch not yes uh, touchdown to win it drive But you you think Dallas could, you know, they could kick the field goal, set up the field goal. No, they go for the touchdown. They get it um, to go up 27 to 23 to essentially seal the deal. So uh, good good job in the clutch by uh, Dak Prescott at the end. An uneven game from him again. But Dallas goes 11 plays for 98 yards in two minutes and 39 seconds. Zeke Elliott finishes with a two-yard touchdown. And then um, Davis Mills interception ends the game in their little comeback attempt with seconds left. But... You know, Dallas survives, win 27-23. to 23. I think the, the decision to go for it, though, is an interesting one. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I'm actually fascinated that it happened, though, on four, fourth and goal from the three for the Texans.
1: Yeah, they, ugh, so many things went well for Houston. Like, they had a goal line stand um, that, that they managed to hold out on. Um, by the way, also, so I think this was after Dallas scored, right, and the Texans still have a little bit of time left on the clock. Um, that's the fourth, right? Yeah, yeah. So Dallas scores. Houston has the ball with 41 seconds left. As we know, 41 seconds at the end of games these days is a freaking eternity, albeit you need a touchdown rather than just a field goal. This is where having Micah Parsons really works to your advantage, though. Not a lot of time on the clock. You know they're passing. Micah Parsons is there ready to tee off. You've got Laramie Tunsil, though. He's been maybe the best pass-protecting left tackle in the NFL, but Laramie Tunsil is acutely aware that that guy is Micah Parsons. So back-to-back false starts by Laramie Tunsil trying to get a head start on Micah Parsons. Like, that, you know, didn't give up the pressure, but two consecutive snaps, Laramie Tunsil jumps a fraction early and gets flagged for a false start because Micah Parsons is there. We need to add that to Micah Parsons' grade. We really do. False start. Yeah. Induction. Like, there's a lot of crap about, you know, people, did you, um, did you draw a pass interference flag, right? half most of the time that's not you you didn't draw it the guy just did it you know that though like those are penalties that Micah Parsons drew because Laramie Tunsil again arguably the best pass blocking left tackle in the game this year knew full well that in this situation that dude has got everything he can handle and then some and jumped early twice
0: all right so Dallas 27,
1: Texans, 23. Let's go, uh, wait, Detroit. Wait, one last thing on this play. Did you see Tony Pollard uh, parry a peanut punch? No. So, you know, like in, in boxing, where you get the hands up and somebody something with a punch and you just, just deflect it, right? Yeah, I'm going to watch UFC the other night. Yeah, so. well, you're, you're an expert then? Yeah. So, somebody came in with a full peanut punch on the football, and with his off hand, Tony Pollard just went just batted it to the side it's like literally whilst running in contact like trying to do what he can do to gain yardage had the hand-eye coordination to take his off hand and just deflect the peanut punch away so that it didn't connect in the football yeah that's awesome it's insane i don't think i've ever seen that happen (laughs) those are the types of instinctual things you see on film where
0: it's like i just want this guy on my team like this guy's gonna be good right like we already know we already know a lot about tony pollard he's also gonna be a free agent by the way but yes we know that he's a good player, and it's you see also, that way, type of play and that type of stuff. That's impressive.
1: It's been a long time since I've actively rooted for a player to get paid as much as Tony Pollard, because you know this world of running backs don't pay them, don't ever give them the second contract. That guy has been buried on the depth chart behind a guy he's been outperforming for years now, and he gets to become a free agent. You're like, yeah. Normally, normally I'm not wild in the idea of paying a running back. But that guy deserves pay. Give him money. Give Tony Pollard cash.
0: Pay that man. Detroit Lions 34. Minnesota Vikings 23. Vegas was right. They were. The Lions were a better team. So Lions moved to six and seven. Vikings fall to ten and three. And, and they and have a negative point differential
1: again on the yeah. season at ten and three. Oh yeah. The Vikings pretty are hard to do. everything.
0: They're but, getting uh, the Lions out.
1: look great. They did. The Vikings are getting outgained by something like 65 yards a game. Their yep. defense is And it's not trash. because
0: they're just up and giving up garbage time yards. No. Because so many of their wins are late in the fourth.
1: Yes. They're all one-score games, remember? Like 9 and 0 oh, or yeah, 9 and 0 oh now, still in one-score games. Um, this is the fifth consecutive game that their defense has given up 400 or more yards, which is a franchise record. That Vikings have had some bad teams in their franchise, and this one, that's ten and three, has the record for that. Um, So this is a weird game because Detroit was very good, um, but oh, here it comes. It's impossible to divorce that from what Minnesota's defense did. So, for example, you before the game were all like, "Well, Detroit's wide receivers are amazing; they're better than Minnesota's." Like, okay, proven correct. Well, so the very, well, like one of the first plays in the game, Jamison Williams, his first catch and touchdown. Uh, On the other hand, it came on a play that you could have scored because all he did is like jog slowly into the bust Speed behind the defense. Speed creates coverage bust. And what this was was an example of I have rarely seen a game where one coordinator is a step ahead of the other coordinator on the other side every play. You know the way like half of games are Sort of trying to set one thing up and then bait and switching, yeah. You know, like you, you show them one thing and then later in the game, you come back to it and you, you make them bite on the thing you showed them earlier and then you hit them with something else. Well, this was like every play, he was like uh, he was uh, the Ben Johnson, the uh, Lions offensive coordinator, was just a step ahead of Ed Donatel, the Vikings defense coordinator. So, everything he did was just suckering Donatel into doing something and then hitting him with something else. It was insane. I, I've I don't know if I've ever seen a guy be always one step behind the entire play. It was like the World Cup's going on. Penalty shootouts, right? You're in this world sometimes where, well, okay, you scored the first one, you went left. Now you've scored the second one, you went left. Well, now you're in this sort of weird cat and mouse thing where do you go left with the third one? Does the goalkeeper expect it to be left? Do you... Double fake him and go right. Oh, I. I saw the fake move the other day, yeah. But you know, you're, you're in this sort of weird psychological world where, well, is he going to expect me to go here? Do I double bluff, or, or do I just stick with what I know? This felt like that, but every single time. Or, you know, rock, paper, scissors, right? Like, the last three, I've gone paper. Do I go paper with the fourth? It's working. Every single play, the Ben Johnson, yeah, Ben Johnson appeared to have Ed Donatel just completely suckered and was hitting him with the counterpunch. Every single time. All right. So Lions fans,
0: they're, they're tuning in. Like, they're, they're, We might have a record number of Lions fans listening here. Yeah. And all they want is for you to properly credit their team. I just have. That's on a roll. No, no. You blamed Ed Donatel.
1: I didn't blame Ed Donatel. I said that Ben Johnson owned Ed Donatel. No, I, I
0: heard it. I know. I just want to make sure you're clear as day that the Lions are really good. Do it. Tell everybody. (laughs) This is the first. Lions are awesome. Ben Johnson, Jared Goff, Panay Sewell. Panay Sewell.
1: Did you see somebody uh, redid, you know, the meme, the Jamar Chase. I'm glad somebody did. Yeah, good. Panay Sewell I didn't see it, but I'm glad somebody did. Yeah, they redid it where Panay Sewell was both blocking and the receiver, um, which it turns out is the the ultimate success for this. Yeah, so this is the first game this year where I've, like, honestly understood why the Lions offense was succeeding. Because a lot, there's a lot of games this season where Feels they put like up a, you a thing, where they put up a ton of points, and you watch it. You're like, I don't really get why this is working. Like it's not, they're not dominant in terms of the athletes they're deploying on the field. They're not better than you, man for man, across the board. But it's racking up points. Like Goff has never been grading well because he makes mistakes. This was the game though where Goff did have a pretty clean game, didn't screw anything up, um, but. It was the game where you saw highlighted so obviously just how far ahead they are coaching-wise. Like, Ed Donatel is not a bad coach, but he was just behind the eight ball the entire way, and everything Detroit did. Like, they got, um, I forget which receiver it was for the touchdown, but they got him, like, matched up, isolated on a safety, one-on-one, in off-man coverage in the end zone. Like, that's, that's a free touchdown. Like, it's, it's an absolute gimme. And they were doing that. Josh Reynolds? Yeah, or, probably. Because the Chark one was an absolute dime. Right, the Chark one Goff. was a bu- But yeah, they got Josh Reynolds, a wide receiver, matched up with a safety on the backside of the play in off coverage in the end zone. Like, that's as, as pitch and catch as it gets in terms of a free score. You're never going to get an easier coverage than that in the red zone. And they got that matched up simply by the play call and the design and the fake, uh, I think, toss play to the, the front side. Like, they just absolutely wrecked the Vikings. And the Vikings' defense stinks i do want to highlight a negative for the vikings defense so
0: this season uh jared goff i think is going to end up with his highest passing grade of the season so this season quarterbacks with their highest passing grade against the vikings defense we have jared goff yesterday uh, mac jones on thanksgiving which by the way that grade i think he had like an 85 or something like that Who's by was, far he, his best game of the season i don't even think he's been in the 70s right. in other games uh, Jalen Hurts, who's had a really good season, but his best game did come against the Vikings. And if you do want to give credit to Skyler Thompson slash Teddy Bridgewater, as a combo after Tua was out that game, no, Tua didn't play that game, um, as a combo, those guys had their best games as well. That's kind of tough to do. To give four quarterbacks this season or combos their very best grade yeah. of the season through 14 weeks, just to highlight something. Um, it's also from a Vikings perspective, we've talked about how Kirk Cousins is not having the same statistical season or even throw for throw season. This was good, man. This was Cousins and Justin Jefferson did everything they could to keep the Vikings in this game. And I'm not saying the Vikings should be chasing this offensive performance, but if you told me Kirk Cousins is going to throw for over 400 yards, over 10 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, there's no turnovers, uh, no no interceptions in there. Um and Justin Jefferson is going to set a Vikings record with 223 yards, I would, okay, the Vikings should win this game. But the Lions did a great job up front against Dalvin Cook once again. I mean, the Lions, here's what I see with the Lions. This Dan Campbell, everything that we thought he would bring to the table early in the season, it, you know, it, they were just off enough. But this team that decided they want to have a great offensive line, win in the trenches, great defensive line, win in the trenches, they're starting to do that there, right? Aiden Hutchinson was fantastic in this game. He was dominating, just winning a ton. They, they beat up the Vikings' offensive line across the board. And in addition to, yeah, you've also got good play calling and everything that you were mentioning. So this is Dan Campbell's team, man, and seeing the Lions completely turn things around,
1: especially defensively here in the second half of the season. Dalvin Cook's fumble was a huge turning point in this game. So just before the f- the end of the first half, the Lions are up fourteen seven. It looks like the shootout that a lot of people were talking about before the game. Um, the Vikings have first and goal from the three with like a minute left. You know, just before halftime, they're going to be in a really good position to answer to go into the break fourteen nothing or fourteen all rather. The Vikings are getting the ball to start the second half, so it's that classic: can you double dip before either side of halftime thing? They. Call a run play that was just dead on arrival. Like the Lions had it absolutely snuffed out. Dalvin Cook was going to get nothing. In fact, he was going to lose yardage. Then he compounds the problem and fumbles the ball away. And the Lions end up recovering. They didn't, um, they missed their field goal, so they didn't add points to it. But they turned 14 14 into a 14 7 lead at halftime. And then the Vikings get the ball at the start of the, the third quarter. It didn't get anything going on that drive either and punted away. So, like those drives either side of halftime are so important for the outcome of games and detroit managed to get turn what looked like a almost certain seven points for minnesota into nothing for either one of those drives
0: by the way that's what i think also really impresses me about the lions like the um the bears so the vikings just kept trying to come back right so you've got this team that's 10 and 3 the lions get up 21 to 7 they blew a lead against the Vikings earlier in the season right it easily could have been well same old Lions we get up early Vikings get within a score right before the half but the Lions kept kept fighting back right they kept counter punching right so then they get up 28 to 13 hold the Vikings to a field goal they bring a field goal of their own Vikings get within eight once again in the Lions answer and put a drive together for a 48 yard field goal to, to put it out of reach right so in, in games where so the lions did that against the bears a few weeks back where it was like all right the lions are going to blow another lead against the bears and the lions didn't let it happen so i'm impressed with how they continue to counterpunch and battle back and not blow these leads you know maybe they would have earlier in the season when the defense was struggling or last season or whatever you want to call it but um the lions are six and seven now since that guy emailed in and said they could run the table <laughs> and go to the playoffs they have, other than a Thanksgiving loss to the Bills. Right. And the Lions have been great.
1: Where they ran them close. They're, yeah, very good game. It is, so, number one, two, uh, two sides of the same coin. Number one, a team with a 6-7 and seven record, which is where Detroit are right now, have made the playoffs in the last four consecutive seasons. So, you know, Detroit running the table, getting to the postseason, it's on. On the other hand... Even winning this game, it tripled their chances of making the playoffs, but it turned it from seven percent to twenty one percent. So there's still only a twenty one percent chance of making the postseason from this point. But a team with a six and seven record has done it for the last four years. Like it is it's on, but it's still unlikely. The way they're trending and all that stuff, you'd rather wouldn't you rather see the Lions sneak in than say the Giants? Oh, sure. Yeah, like if they continue like at this point, Philadelphia looks amazing. San Francisco somehow looks amazing with Brock Purdy, a quarterback, and then almost the entirety of the rest of the NFC stinks. So from that point of view, you would absolutely want one of the teams that's surging late on, whether it's Detroit, whether it's Washington, to make it over a team that's busy collapsing just because, you know, it's got to be better. All right, let's go. Jacksonville Jaguars, 36. Tennessee Titans, 22.
0: Jaguars. Now they just lost to the Lions pretty handily last week. But other than that, they're, you know, they're getting all the, the feel-goods as well because there was another great game from Trevor Lawrence. Jaguars move to 5-8. and eight. Titans fall to 7-6. and six. It's slowly starting to fall apart here in Tennessee, isn't it?
1: It is. Um, in part, so Jacksonville appears to be just structurally and institutionally incapable of tackling Derrick Henry. Like every time Derrick Henry plays the Jags, he goes off for hundred plus yards. and Usually, stiff arms a couple of people to hell and becomes just highlight like the Texans.
0: Yeah, just like the Texans. Like if he Derek didn't Henry. play
1: Houston and Jacksonville twice a year, what would his rushing numbers be? They'd probably be normal. Um, but it's he does. He's Thomas Jones outside of uh, except for the, those, those division games. games. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in the first half, he crushed them. Yeah. But in the second half, he had four carries for minus two yards. Like the Derrick Henry thing stopped working in the second half, and all of a sudden it became clear that actually that's Tennessee's offense. And if they don't have that, they don't have anything. So they're in trouble. I, I've been trying. So first off, the
0: Titans still have a two-game lead over the Jaguars sure. in the AFC South. The, ja, the, the Jags are officially in second at 5-8 and eight here. Um, the Titans, if we're going to talk about the, the Vikings and their negative point differential, the Titans are negative as well by about 30-something points, 35 points. So I, I always like giving the Titans credit because they always find a way, right? And when they find a way with, you know, the Anthony Adams of the world making plays and, you know, whoever it might be any given week, it's like, all right, variable coaching staff, they're keeping it together. I think we're finally starting to see the talent deficiency, maybe, from the Titans. Maybe the thing that got John Robinson fired, The maybe the overinvestment in Bud Dupree and... An injured Harold Landry and just not having enough depth. Where in the past, the Titans were able to overcome. And it seemed like yesterday, it all... It, I mean, it's a three-game losing streak where I think it's all started to uh, to catch up to Tennessee. By the way, I think they really missed uh, Danico Autry up front. Since he's been hurt, Titans not getting the same kind of pressure. Bud was, you know, one pressure for him yesterday. And... And then you see the Titans' offensive line. We said, look, if Trayvon Walker and Josh mm-hmm. Allen don't go off against this line, Trayvon Walker didn't go off, but he had a strip sack in there where Dennis Daly Bailey even, barely even put a hand on him. Walker with his really good athleticism, strip sack. The Titans will, Jaguars win up front, and then tri- Trevor Lawrence starting to play like that number one overall pick.
1: Yeah. Like, Tennessee just doesn't have enough talent across the board to, to get it done anymore. Like, even the Derrick Henry thing, he got... A ton of yardage in the first half most of it came after contact but again like if you're that's such an unsustainable thing generally to have that much of your success predicated on the running back doing crazy things because you need to give him some kind of crease and if that crease disappears in the second half so does his rushing success and you know it wasn't helped obviously by game uh flow game script where the jack the jack got ahead and all of a sudden tennessee's trying to come back so you're sort of abandoning the run game to an extent um like when you look, though, at their sort of skill position players, with Traylon Burks not in there after getting KO'd last week, Robert Woods hasn't really been an impact playmaker for them at all since he arrived. Like, they just don't have the playmakers, except uh, Chig Okonkwo is all of a sudden looking amazing. Like, that guy looks legit.
0: Yeah, it does look like they found a good tight end. Um, in a red, you know, He's really good in the red zone. The Titans... They're a fourth-round rookie. yeah. Looks incredible for them. There's a lot of those guys. I mean, uh, Greg Dulcich, the, the, the second tier of tight ends, Isaiah Likely, and every, the second tier of tight ends from this tight end class seem to be doing pretty well so far.
1: Most of whom are
0: all like freak athlete guys. Right. Um, so Trevor Lawrence, once again, a very good game. And, and, and another silly stat line here, Sam. He goes 30 for 42 for 368 and three touchdowns. Evan Ingram goes off yeah. for the Jags. But Lawrence, remember a couple weeks ago in the comeback, who was the comeback against? The Raiders? Who was the comeback where he just started dealing and they went for two? Uh, the Ravens, in the Ravens game. Yeah. Where Lawrence had that like three-play stretch where it was like big-time throw, big-time right. throw, like two-point conversion. There was another three-play stretch in this game. And I don't know if this is going to become like a thing for Trevor Lawrence where he just he morphs into a cyborg for like a three- or four-play stretch. But he drops one over the defense, over two defenders about 45-plus yards into the air that Zay Jones does not catch for a touchdown. But hey, big-time throw by Trevor Lawrence. Then a back shoulder that, that falls incomplete on, the next, on his next throw. And then the next throw is a back shoulder to Evan Ingram for a, a long touchdown. And, and I don't know if Lawrence is just going to get into these hot streaks where he starts feeling it or whatever, but that was incredible. Then we see him stiff-arming defenders into the end zone and the two-point conversion and everything. I mean, was that two-point conversion? Two-point conversion, right? Um, Lawrence, just fantastic again. And the only game of the last five weeks where he didn't really play well was the one where he got hurt last week against the uh, Super Bowl-bound Lions.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like Lawrence, this was another one of those signature games where he looked like the guy he was supposed to be coming at the last few weeks with the exception of that Lions game, we've seen what we expected to see, I think, of Trevor Lawrence. And this game, you know, he was obviously dealing. There were a bunch of big plays. The one I think that really stood out for me was when uh, Tennessee, down by the goal line, they had him. Like, they, Dylan Cole, I think, had him dead to rights in the backfield for what was going to be a loss. And Trevor Lawrence just went, nope, I'm just going to stiff arm you out of the way, and then I'm going to run it in for a touchdown and turn a negative play into a score because i'm better than you are i was the generational quarterback talent the next john elway and you weren't so that's how it's gonna go and that's important like he wasn't doing that for the first year and a half of his career and now we're seeing that from trevor lawrence and that is different that makes them completely different was that his touchdown or two-point conversion that was a that was a touchdown i think so I'm losing my mind here, I'm sorry. Maybe, of maybe it was yesterday. a two point, but either way. No, you turns, might be right,
0: because he, he ran for a touchdown, threw for three more. Um, and then he started doing a little wave to the fans. A little wave and taunting the division rival fans.
1: Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's what it looks like. Well, that's, you know, that's part of your uh, development as a quarterback, too. I love it. I, need, I want to see that from Trevor Lawrence. Need a little attitude there.
0: Need a little bit of that. So there's still two games behind the Jags. Yeah. In the
1: division. The Titans could, um, you know, I think Tennessee's into the still fine. Yeah, yeah. like it, it's not, but it's like it's a little bit like last year, where as much as the the middle run where they were knocking off impressive team after impressive team, it's like okay, you, you can't really argue with that. At some point, it always felt, particularly towards the end, that this team isn't taking it to the Chiefs or the Bills or you know whoever.
0: But the the Titans have to pl- They have to go to the Chargers next week. Who knows what happens with the Chargers any given week. Play the Texans. So win. What? They only beat the Texans by seven the first time around. The (laughs) Texans beat the number one seed Titans last year. Yeah. In a big late late season game. Don't chalk it up. Then the Titans also have to play Dallas on Thursday night football, and they finish the season at Jacksonville. So can Jacksonville, two games behind, can they make up enough ground? All they have to do is get within a game so that they can, you know, tie and have the tiebreaker, right? The Jaguars have the Cowboys this week, so they both have the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Jags also have the Jets, the Texans, and then they finish with the Titans. So that'll be something to watch. Jaguars, Cowboys, it's going to be tough this week. Get to see
1: Trevor Lawrence, you know, another tough game can't against the can't believe just writing off the 4-8-1 Indianapolis Colts like that. Coach Saturday would be... Upset with I would. I would never write off
0: Jeff Saturday. Coach Saturday's team mm-hmm. would never write him off. But um, impressive win for the Jaguars. Now, how do I get back to uh, the list of games? That's what happens when I click off that page. Is that all the 1 o'clock games here, Sam? Uh, Sure. I think it is. I don't know. You tell me. I think we have all of them. We did it. We did it. All right, let's go. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs thirty-four, Denver Broncos twenty-eight. So the Chiefs win. Even they were up twenty-seven to nothing at one point.
1: <laughs> Weird game. Yes,
0: I mean when you're, especially when they were up thirteen to nothing. Mahomes has one of those just ridiculous. We've never seen this before. Plays um, scrambles out. He essentially we see this a lot with scrambling quarterbacks, right? They scramble out, they draw the defender, mm. but I think what Mahomes is able to do is when he draws the defender. He's got. it's like in tight space. And he got the ball out to Jarek McKinnon with a little flip. Because he had to. Like he couldn't just throw it. He had to flip it. Yeah. He drew the, the defender and got it to Jarek McKinnon for a 40-plus yard touchdown.
1: Mahomes does a bunch of things where you're like, okay, this is insane, incredible, nobody else does it, and it looks ridiculous. But why? Like, was there any, was there any real reason why that needed to be a no-look, sideways toss like at right angles he's running essentially towards the sideline running out running a defender because that's always what he does and the man's never caught from behind in his life outrunning running a defender you know away from the pocket heading towards the sideline another defender coming in uh to tackle him and then he just sort of blindly flips it at right angles to his left which for which puts it downfield to a Jeremy mckinnon who's now uncovered but that's very similar to other quarterbacks that do a similar thing except they throw it conventionally it's like what what did you what did you gain from doing it in a weird way other than everybody going wow this is Mahomes this is freaky I just sometimes I wonder if Mahomes gets so much of the credit for style points as opposed to actual substance that he's adding to the table now the touchdown that he had later where he's like Fire, you know runs around in a circle avoids people and then fires from the grasp a strike to a guy in the end zone that is like okay you'd that's, rather give him credit for that one that's a well I mean there's nothing yeah. yeah that that's absurd like that is incredible Mahomesian play where you're like that's that's freakish in the same way as the Josh Allen stuff earlier like this is stuff that not many if any quarterbacks in the NFL can do the McKinnon thing though, and this is not even like remember earlier in the season he had that one where he's like running to the the right sideline, spins out of a tackle, and then flips the ball back across. Like I think that's different. Where again, it's so weird and unusual that he did gain from the unusual way he did it. This one I'm just not a hundred percent convinced needed to be as difficult. Like it's again, it reminds me a little bit of um, you, you don't know what this is, but a rabona in soccer where you use, your, use the, uh, the wrong foot, and you put it behind the other foot. So you instead of kicking I it conventionally, I know you how to f- do put the other foot behind and like cross it. That's yeah, I, like, played, I played soccer for seven years. There's... <laughs> Between ages five and 12. Yeah, okay. There, there's no actual purpose to that other than to make it more difficult and just get style points. And when it comes off, it looks amazing. It's ridiculous because it's so hard to do and do it like the same way as you do the conventional kick with the right foot but it literally doesn't add anything there's no reason to do it other than to just say you can so you get incredible style points for it but like fundamentally is it any different from just crossing the ball that's how i feel with mahomes sometimes use like it. that was essentially his version of a rabona where it, it was i'm not sure there was any purpose to it other than hey watch me do a no look pass here for giggles you to use it the right way I mean, he's drawn the defense in and then creating a big play out of it. Right, but don't you see quarterbacks do that regularly except it looks normal because no, they're I facing in the right direction. and they just, I understand. You know what I mean? I'm also trying to like not to take
0: anything away from Mahomes, but okay, so that play had a lot of yak on it. That's right? great. But well, it was, it was like fantastic. This.
1: We can keep this theme going, right? In a game where, where the Chiefs racked up a ton of points against the best defense in the NFL, we're going to spend 10 minutes shitting on Mahomes. Well, they, they scored 27 offensively. That was pretty good.
0: Mm-hmm. Um to me it was early on, the Chiefs screen game was outstanding. I mean, Jarek McKinnon ends up with 112 receiving yards. I mean, they Mahomes had 73% of his yards come after the catch. Yep. Um and again, one of them he created let's let's give him credit for I think it was the 41 yarder, right? Give him credit. He created those that yak, but early on, Broncos seemed like they were taking away the deep stuff. Chiefs had easy throws underneath, and they were just their screen game was really good, and their general checkdown game was, was very good, the Chiefs. Everything was underneath. Broncos did a much better job closing in on those passes later. But like you said, tra- Travis Kelsey, wide open yeah. on third down for a 37-yarder. Um, the Chiefs' offense is very good. I mean, it's the totality of the offense that's very good. Mahomes then started throwing the ball to the defense. Three interceptions, uh, two by Josie Jewell. Uh, and another one of those was that, you know, he tries to like a little jump throw in a tight pocket and leaves it way behind for an interception. A couple of the other, other ones were really good plays by Josie Jewell. But with a lead, I don't know if Mahomes just starts to just play a different brand of football because he doesn't make a ton of interceptions in like comeback attempts or anything like that, right? It, sometimes it's just they got a big lead and he just starts fooling around a little bit and whatever it might be. But it did feel like Mahomes in those... um a few poor decisions let the Broncos back into it because you got this Broncos offense that struggled so much this year. We give them a couple short fields, get get Jerry Judy to the end zone three times. Marlon Mack with a 66 yard touchdown. Um, the Broncos did fight. Yeah, they played hard. And uh, Russell Wilson closing
1: in on the uh, toilets. Closing in on the toilets. Is the it 12,
0: 12, 12 11 now?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Russell Wilson, you know, had some the. the Denver offense all of a sudden remembered how to score, and it came in the one game where their defense actually gives up a bunch of points uh, to the Chiefs, and didn't matter. Russell Wilson, of course, also gets absolutely KO'd in the game. Um, you know, rush, rushing, trying to make a play, trying to get into the end zone, just head drilled off the turf, and he looked, he looked That gone. looked bad. I mean, so that was what a third and one,
0: and um, he made a really slick
1: really slick move on the play but then he ends up getting
0: get hit pretty hard
1: yeah he i mean so the last couple of weeks he's been making a few more plays that looked more like old school russell wilson i feel like it's back and forth isn't it like there's certain plays where i
0: see him try to juke people because he got sacked six times yeah and there's a few plays where he tried to escape and had
1: he was not. He was not right. making defenders. But made. there's been a few of them in the last couple of weeks where it looked like more like old Russell Wilson. And remember, like he's been dealing with a lot of injuries this year as well. He's not been 100 percent healthy. It's almost like paying a million dollars for recovery every year is not necessarily, you know, not necessarily doing what it should do. Um, I do kind of wonder if there's more of that old Russell Wilson left to be rediscovered if he gets 100% healthy going forward, because I imagine he's going to miss some time now with that concussion. Um, But him being knocked from the game was pretty significant. Jerry Judy making plays. Jerry Judy, by the way, was really lucky not to get himself ejected. There was a play, I can't remember what happened, but he was really mad after the play. It was like losing his mind, screaming at everybody, starts heading towards the sideline. I think he was screaming at the official, but as he runs toward the sideline, he's sort of bouncing around, screaming, Getting in the official's face and almost like shoulder checked him as the official's running in from the side to you know come onto the field to I don't know spot the ball or whatever he was doing. He ends up like you know half shoulder checking the guy. I, like as a general rule, I hate the thing of guys getting ejected for sort of accidental incidental contact with an official, or if the official is trying to manhandle a, a player and the player is like get the hell off me and it's like oh. Flag, get out of here. You're rejected. Judy just straight like shoulder checks the dude, though. And for some reason, the official was just like, eh, whatever. Let it go. Judy could easily have been slung out of that game. What you're trying to get players tossed here. Only when they, you know, shoulder check
0: an official. So anyway, I think the, the Broncos played hard. They battled back. Um, I was impressed. I mean, it, all for naught, but they fall to 3-10. and They're eliminated from playoff contention. From a Chiefs perspective, Another win where it looked like they, should prob- they probably should have dominated. I think the turnovers obviously gave life to the Broncos. The 66-yard the reception to Mac, of course, as well. Hmm. Um, but the Chiefs, you know, Mahomes has that touchdown late to make sure that the Broncos can't come back. They okay. kept – the Chiefs ended up counterpunching enough at the end, too, and then when they're running out the clock, they have Isaiah Pacheco with one of the more impressive 10-yard runs yeah. that you're ever going to see. And I, and I love that about the Chiefs' offense now. He is – just a physical downhill runner on this team that is very horizontal and you know pass heavy and and I mentioned this about the Packers last year where they had an AJ Dillon and even Aaron Jones where they're able to run hard downhill on a team that is very pass heavy and that is very um, you know quicker than fast and it creates it has different types of players the Chiefs have these different types of players right a lot of quickness on the field Um, Travis Kelsey who's already just a step faster than everybody somehow no matter what Mahomes who's a step faster than everybody no matter what and then you add more of this physical presence like a Pacheco in there and you started to see that in this game yesterday.
1: Yeah I mean it's such a bizarre game the the Chiefs got out to such a huge lead and then Denver for the entirety of the season has never been able to score and all of a sudden they get it back and it's like a one score game then Russell Wilson gets hurt and uh and it sort of went a little bit back and forth towards the end of, it's not even close. All of a sudden, it's a game. and ah, it's not even close again. And then Kansas City gets to like chew out the final seconds of the clock with that Pacheco run. But I think it was a pretty important game for Kansas City to show that they could go in against a really good defense like Denver's and handle them. Um, you know, Denver was a defense a little bit like Cincinnati where you could definitely paint a picture of them causing the Chiefs offense all kinds of problems. And I think the problems that they did have, i.e. Mahomes' turnovers, were self-inflicted rather than like elite Denver play necessarily. Um, Like Mahomes just made some mistakes in this game, which he's made in games before. Like, okay, he hadn't done it for a while, but Mahomes has had these types of games before. But it felt more like uh, Mahomes just made some unforced errors as opposed to this was a version of the Cincinnati games where their defense causes them all kinds of problems, and this was the inevitable conclusion. So I think it was pretty big for them to come in there and have that kind of performance on offense and show that they can do that. Ideally, their defense wouldn't have given up those plays to, to Denver's offense, but you know, they got the win. They kept pace.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. The Chiefs' offense, has they, they absolutely dominated the Bucks earlier in the year. They, after a slow start, pretty much dominated the 49ers' defense. They had a couple injuries that week. And then the Broncos, every time the Chiefs have faced a defense that either ranks pretty well or has a chance to slow them down, the Chiefs are finding a way to put points on the board. And I think the way you described the Mahomes plays, he's had other games where he's had two, three, four turnover-worthy plays and hasn't showed up on the stat sheet. This particular game, it it showed up on the stat sheet, right? Three turnover-worthy plays, three interceptions. It was 100%, right? A lot of times one's dropped and you forget about it, whatever. The, um... The Broncos took advantage of it. So um, I, I'm actually probably more impressed with the Chiefs doing this against the Broncos' defense, finding ways to create big plays and all that stuff. Even if it was the underneath stuff and the screen game early on, having answers to, against another good defense that's given a lot of teams problems, even though Mahomes did throw those interceptions. So Chiefs 10-3, and 3, tied with the Bills record-wise, but remember, the Bills have the tiebreaker. So it's going to be touch and go here.
1: And Denver... Eliminated. Denver's eliminated. We'll talk about that. From the playoffs side. rather than as a franchise. What's that? From the playoffs rather than as a franchise. No, no. they that still be a tough break. They do still exist. You guys are, uh, what are they, demoted, whatever you Relegated. Relegated. Yeah. Relegated. You think you'd know that as your uh, glorified soccer career? Well, it's because I'm... Five uh, years? All my mind. Seven. Seven years? Yeah. My mind's on uh, UFC now. I can only be an
0: expert in so many things. <laughs> I mean what a sketchy what a sketchy Saturday night in UFC history. No. Oh. Not me. No. All right, Carolina Panthers thirty, Seattle Seahawks twenty four.
1: Panthers move to five and eight like the
0: rest of the league. <laughs> Seahawks fall
1: to seven and six. You put some respect the Carolina Panthers control their destiny. They do. Their playoff destiny. They do. Despite this season. Sam Darnold moves to 5-0 and
0: in games in which he's in his first three games that he's played of a season over the last two years. I see. You got all that? Y- yeah. I per Elias. I didn't even need Elias for this. <laughs> or PFF. From my own brain. It's <laughs> just from you. Sam Darnold started 3-0 and last year. Yeah. And 2-0 and in his first two starts this year. Okay. Therefore, he's 5-0 and in games in which they were his first three games of a season over the last two years. Yeah. Who's the last guy to do that?
1: I, d- I don't know. Did the Eagles start 2-0 last year? Is Jalen Hurts that guy? There's no way Jalen Hurts could do that. No? No. Maybe. <laughs> you don't remember? Josh Allen hasn't done it. No, the Eagles
0: didn't start 2-0 last year. Yeah. yeah. I believe Sam Darnold might be the only quarterback. I mean, throw this on the Hall of Fame resume. Or at least fact check it. No, somebody can fact check me. Has any other quarterback started five and zero within in their first five games of the last two seasons? Somebody must have started three and zero last year, other than him. And this year? Why? Yeah. You'd have to do it both years. I know. Like, darn aware of
1: how the stat works.
0: I think the Eagles were like the only undefeated team by week three this year.
1: Really? Yeah. Okay. weren't they? I don't know. It's confused. I've lost track of everything. Don't even worry about it. No.
0: Anyway, thirty to twenty four. Panthers run for
1: two twenty three on the ground well it's a good thing because Sam Darnold he passed for 120 yards so I'm not sure that was carrying the team a big time throw in there
0: yeah looking good Panthers playing tough on defense JC Horn with a pick and another near pick and uh Geno Smith putting the ball in harm's way a bunch he's still battled back though man he's still battling but Geno hasn't played as well over the last few weeks near pick should have given him the second interception. Yeah, J.C. Horn, I think, had a second interception.
1: Um, yeah, th- this was this the game where Gino turned back into a pumpkin a little bit. There was a lot of bad plays in here for him. I, I don't know because was we were we, we
0: text a lot or we 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 chat during the games. I don't think there's a full pumpkin for Gino. Not I a full. <laughs> it's
1: a semi-pumpkin.
0: I don't think there's full pumpkin. It's a squash. Because even in a game. Even in a game where he has four turnover worthy plays, two of them, two actual interceptions in there. I um and one of them was weird. One of the interceptions, I don't even think we called turnover worthy. He thought he had a free play. Right. Two guys jumped. Yeah. They did jump, and yes. he just kind of chucks it up on 39. It looks ludicrous yeah. on film. It looks ludicrous on TV, but he thought he had a free play mm-hmm. and didn't. I don't even think we chucked that. I, there was others where he put the ball in harm's way that were, were bad. But he still makes some big time throws. He still like that bang eight, that that uh post route to DK Metcalf Geno's bounced back from bad throws that's what I like there's um, some Andrew Luckian qualities to his game this year where Geno even with a good grade hasn't been pristine all the time he's had a, a, a chunks of, of turnover plays and, and they've come in bunches and I feel like because his history is backup quarterback we're waiting for pumpkin Geno yeah. But I don't see it yet. I mean, yes, he's regressed a little bit. He's not the top five quarterback that he was earlier in the year, grade-wise or performance-wise. But, like, he's not thrown – I don't I don't see, like, 40 grades coming out or anything like that.
1: No, but alternatively, isn't it all a matter of context? Like, if you, if you forget what's ha- – if you didn't know what happened the rest of the season, if I just transported you from last year, if I went back and grabbed the – December 2021 version of Steve Palazzolo you know imagine the hairline moves this way a little bit (laughs) and you see you put you put him down you put him down what I'm sorry we need to get like an old version of this podcast and trace your hairline over the top and my hairline doesn't exist anymore but yours is moving backwards is all I'm saying anyway if I got that version of Steve sat him down and showed him Gino's game yesterday right and you didn't know anything that had happened before this game this season it would make sense right you like, yeah that's gino a lot of bad mistakes in there a few nice plays you know but this is why he'll never become that qual uh, that assured starter going forward this is just what he is it's what he's been all the way through his career from the jets to this time as a backup to the version of seattle last year we had a few games where he showed a few things but some bad mistakes in there like this is gino right but because we've seen more than half a season of him this year, of oh, this is different. Like, he's way better. Now you're sort of like, nah, I mean, Lou's still a good play. Now you're sort of talking yourself into the upside of it.
0: Yeah, maybe, but like, the, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm weighing what's happened this season.
1: But isn't that, like, so he has turned, like, he did turn back into a pumpkin, but you're just unwilling to admit it because we've no, seen good things.
0: Turning back into a pumpkin involves essentially like undoing everything that, that he's already showed. It have to be so bad. It has to swing so far the other way. It's not as simple as like, oh, he graded at sixty-one. That's what Geno Smith used to do. You know, there's there's enough in the bank, right, that he hasn't lost it all yet. That's all I'm saying. Okay. We'll see what happens though. I, you you said to me the other where are their where's their pick lined up to be? They're right number now? two right now. So that's going to be the interesting one because the Seahawks could have the could have their
1: top quarterback. The pick they're They're getting from Denver for trading away Russell Wilson for a quarterback who's out, or not even for a quarterback, and replacing him with a quarterback who's way outperforming him this year is giving them right now the number two overall pick in the draft. And Geno Smith is a free agent,
0: right? So regardless of how he finishes the season, good, bad, indifferent, he's a free agent. You're going to have to pay him more than you're paying him right now. Sure. And obviously you're going to want a first, I mean, they're going to draft a quarterback even if they love geno smith even if he goes on a playoff run and wins a game right like wouldn't you absolutely draft a quarterback in lieu of or maybe even in addition to a long-term contract for geno smith
1: hmm i don't know about that i think if you i mean if geno goes on another run is playing the way he did the first month of the season wins a playoff game or two like if geno looks for real and you have the number two overall pick i don't think you're drafting a quarterback at two i don't know if you're taking like if you're trading back or if you're just drafting the best non-quarterback at two but i don't think you're drafting a guy that could be his replacement
0: well it's gonna it's gonna be a fun off season deciding through that or uh, going through those those decisions but carolina man defense is playing well they're playing hard um again effective run
1: game one-two punch of
0: uh, dante foreman and uh Chuba Hubbard did a nice job.
1: Hmm. Yeah, the their, their run, uh, their rush attack was just crushing Seattle. And this is like, so whatever about Gino turning into a pumpkin. I think the bigger problem is that the defense has turned into a pumpkin again. Like they can't That's stop the run. That's been my issue with the Seahawks, yes. They can't stop the run at the moment. They're not necessarily making as many plays against the pass. Like that part of Seattle is where the issues are right now. For whatever the time of possession is, is worth, the Panthers
0: had the ball about twice as long as the seahawks so when you go back to that whole you know keep the ball away and you know keep the ball away from the offense the actual turnovers that the, that the panthers got that affects time of possession obviously you stole some possessions and you kind of leaned leaned on seattle's defense right and and were effective on those short fields effective with the run game and um forced you know in the other part too defensively for the panthers jc horn cj henderson playing well the, the forcing tight window throws for the most part. I mean, that was what I thought was impressive by, uh, by Carolina and their defense in this one. A week after DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett really went off down the stretch, they had, their, they had a few of their plays, but it felt like everything was just difficult for Seattle, which is part of the reason why Geno's, you know, going to grade around 60. Mm-hmm. So the Panthers can win out because they do play the first place Bucks. The Bucs are six and seven. And they will play in a couple weeks. And the Panthers already beat them, so not the tiebreaker doesn't matter if you're going to play again, but well, so, the Panthers can win out. And, I mean, they still control
1: their own destiny. Yes, and the, the NFC comeback, is the, key. the ridiculous comeback from Tom Brady against the Saints, right, is what's stopping this from being a four-way tie for the division lead at, whatever they are, 6-7. and seven. Um, The as Monday it, night game? Yeah. Yeah. As it stands despite being uh, trailing, Carolina still controls her own destiny because they play other guys in the division and they hold a tiebreaker over everybody in the division. All Carolina's wins have come against the other crappy teams in the NFC South, essentially. So, yeah, they play Tampa Bay, they play New Orleans, and then the three other games or the two other games are Pittsburgh and Detroit, which are eminently winnable. So all of a sudden, Carolina who have been a disaster this season. Gotten rid of Baker Mayfield, you know, went to PJ and back and then went to Sam Darnold. They went could be hosting a playoff to, game. Went to Steve Wilkes, got him playing hard right now. Right. Fired their coach. They could be hosting a playoff game. By the way, the Panthers also, it, it,
0: it is, it's, a, it's a crazy season, Sam. It's a very crazy season. Um, the Panthers also had one of those, they're up three and they go for it on fourth and goal and don't get it um didn't end up burning them but i think these are just interesting decisions right when you're up three and neglecting to go up six and saying we want to make this a two score game right and if we don't get it we're making the other team go the full field um again with the panthers it ended up working out for them but there was a couple of these situations yesterday where teams were up three didn't get the fourth down um i forget which time of the game this was but um you know still worked out for the Panthers here Mm -hmm. I just noted a couple of those they did they did end up get they did end up getting you know they scored the next 10 points get up 30 to 17 late touchdown by the by the Seahawks made it look a little bit closer but Panthers won man they they won pretty handily in this game yep all right let's go to speaking of winning handily San Francisco 49ers 35 wow Tampa Bay Bucks 7 Brock Purdy fantastic game great storyline you see his dad you know, in tears, tears of joy as Brock Purdy and the 49ers offense absolutely destroy the Bucs. Christian McCaffrey had 119 yards on the ground, another 34 and a couple catches, including the the long touchdown, which, um, because I know you love this, Christian McCaffrey scores a touchdown. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Every touchdown's reviewed. During the review, they changed it to an incomplete pass. Yeah. And then they went ahead and reviewed the incomplete pass. Reviewed the review. And called it a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad they got it right, but it was just fascinating that they they went touchdown, incompletion, touchdown. There's a lot more of that happening on the field, which we talked about, like, credit the NFL for just having, don't give me the face. All we say is like, NFL, talk about stuff. Just talk about stuff. Get it right. They talked about it, they
1: got it right. That's all I have to say. Are you trying to make the case of credit the NFL for having a terrible catch rule? No, for getting the call right. Oh, I see. Because the NFL doesn't appear to be happy unless nobody has any idea what a catch is. Because listen, it was a touchdown automatic review. Yeah. On the review, they said
0: it's incomplete. Uh huh. But they said, we're going to re- review it again. Why did they review it again? Because an incomplete pass is not an automatic review. Yeah. So what were they reviewing? Did the, did the Niners? I don't think the Niners
1: challenged it, right? I just, we had this They period. just reviewed it, but they got it right. We had this period for a while where nobody had any idea what a catch was, right? Like Des Bryant caught it, and then, nope, sorry. Calvin Johnson scores a touchdown, gets up celebrating, leaves the ball on the ground. Nope, not a touchdown, not a catch. We had this period, and then eventually people went, you know what? We've gone too far. This is stupid. Like, not only does nobody know what a catch is, but there are quite obvious, clear catches that you're trying to tell us aren't because they didn't pass some weird black and white rule that you've written. So we're going to get rid of that because it's dumb. And then for a, there was a it was a little blissful period where everybody knew what a catch was. You know, that's a catch. That's not a catch. We nailed what it. What just changed? What happened? And then all of a sudden, the NFL seems to have decided, you know what? That was too good. That was too simple. You know, we've we've there's no discussion points anymore. We just, that was a catch. And that's not a catch. And nobody likes that. We've got to manufacture some controversy here. So you know what? We're going to break the rules again. And then nobody will know what a catch is. And that's when we're happiest. Because then there's always a talking point, you know? Somebody makes a play, you've no idea whether he caught it or not. You know, we gotta wait. We gotta wait. And then we gotta just determine whether the officials screwed everybody. And that's how we get, you know, that's how we make the bank. So now we're back to this world where nobody has any idea if it's a catch or not until like five minutes after the fact when the NFL rules it officially. It's my fault for bringing that up. Yeah. Talk about the game, Sam. I don't like it. As
0: I say in the opening. Do I still say that in the opening? Probably. Talk about the game, Sam. The,
1: the, uh, the, the game was
0: basically from the beginning, the Niners were, were dominating this game. Every time it looked like the Bucks had a chance to come back. Their, their three best plays were essentially negated by a penalty. How do they do this? So uh, Brady, so I don't know if you watched that play closely, the Brady 65-whatever yarder it would have been to Mike Evans. Yeah. Uh, you, could tell, you could see Brady kind of like saying, hey, they're blitzing, pointing out the blitz. He looks up to Julio, who's supposed to run a hot route, who just takes off, no hot route. The protection held up just enough because, well, there was a hold. Yeah. And then the Niners, best defense in the NFL, busted coverage. And Mike Evans runs through the defense. Brady finds him after what should have been like a five-yard little hot. Mm-hmm. And it was a 65-yard touchdown. It's like, wow, the Bucks had a big play. Nope, negated by a penalty.
1: It's like, remember earlier this season, the same thing. Like, they had a wide-open coverage bust to Mike Evans who dropped it this time. Like, they can't—why— why can 11 guys not avoid making a mistake on the same play? Just once. They always find one guy to screw up the play when they have like a huge, wide-open, gimme touchdown. It's unbelievable how they keep timing this up. So then just before the half, uh, Brady hits a big throw
0: up the seam to Chris Godwin, probably his best throw of the night. They get, into, they get second and one deep into 49ers territory, and they don't even convert on second and, uh, the, the second and one. Uh, there's a couple negative plays. They go for it on fourth and one. Mike Evans absolutely um, destroys whoever's covering him and Brady missed him. I don't know what Brady was throwing, but it looked like Evans was running an out route. I don't know if Brady wanted him to sit down. Whatever it was, it was a bad throw, it was a bad connection. Brady and Evans were seen arguing on the sideline and this has been an issue, right? These guys have not been on the same page all season on um, on several key plays. And that was one time where the Bucks could have at least brought it within two scores just before the half. <laughs> like, if you're like, you you like, hey, can they get it close enough yeah. that we can see some potential Brady magic once again? Right. All of these attempts have failed. And then the one other one
1: was uh, Brock Purdy. Did not play a perfect game. Statistically, he may have. And by the way, San Francisco then went down and scored a touchdown just before the, and the half. And, but... the,
0: and so I'm impressed by that too, by the way, because, well, this is, well, there was an interception negated as well just before the touchdown sure. right so the Niners are up 21 to nothing before the half you're thinking can they steal another field goal here uh Purdy throws an interception it was a bad read it gets negated by a holding call I think it was Carlton Davis mm-hmm. a little sketchy I think on that call as well the other one the other calls were fine but this may be a sketchy holding call next play touchdown to Brandon Ayuk on the double move by uh by Brock Purdy. to so 28 to nothing before the half so credit the Niners man every time the Bucks. Felt like maybe they were gonna creep back into the game. No, the Bucs also the self inflicted wounds were just um very
1: much a 2022 thing for them. Brandon Ayuk was making poor old Jamel Dean look like a linebacker as opposed to the regular plays where he just looks like a linebacker because he's shaped that way. <laughs> like he was actually making him look like a linebacker out in coverage. Brandon Ayuk had him destroyed in this game. Uh yeah, like the the Bucks the Bucks are bad. It's bad top to bottom. It's it's awful, they're making bad play calls, they're making bad decisions, they're making bad... um, Like, somebody manages to time up a bad mistake, like a holding call during the plays where they're being good. And the thing, like, then... Byron Leftwich comes out with this sort of classic defiant attitude that he's had all season, which is, this isn't, you know, did the whole line, which has come up a lot from NFL teams or NFL personnel this year of, it's not fantasy football, guys. We're just trying to win games, trying to find a way of getting a W here. It's like, okay, but you didn't. You got waxed. Like, at which point, you should probably sit there and, Take a step back and think, okay, is there anything we could be doing here to improve this situation? Remember, you're the same guy that kind of said, I don't even know what EPA is, you know? And what are you talking about, our runs on first? Like, you've been dealing with a lot of questions this season about the flaws in your offense, not because people have it in for you, but because your offense stinks. And there's people out there looking for reasons that the offense might stink, and they're finding them in various statistics or tendencies, At some point, you should be open to the idea that there might be something there, you know? And you might need to change some things because what you're doing right now isn't working. And yet they're not. And the fact that they're not, and the the attitude to that appears to be, you know, shut the hell up. When did you last play in the NFL? Is not a good sign for their ability to turn this around. They have
0: to do something differently, right? I mean, because, um, again, like Brady just wants to get rid of the ball so quickly, when he does throw the ball down the field, like he's missed Scotty Miller a bunch of times. Scotty Miller, as much as you've, you know, given him crap for making things look difficult sometimes, and he Mm -hmm. does, Scotty has at least gotten a step on a bunch (laughs) of defenders. And I don't think, I don't think the deep, when you're looking for like the cliff for old quarterbacks that everybody likes to look for. Yeah. I don't think that the deep ball is like the thing that you look at, right? Um, Velocity and all that stuff. I think if you're, if you're looking at, are there deficiencies in Brady's game that he hasn't had previously? to me it's it's react it's it's him wanting to get rid of the ball so quickly and the deep ball has been off right and i do think that is a part of uh peyton manning showed signs of this in 2014 when he still had really good numbers but i don't think peyton played as well that year and he started missing a ton of deep balls it was you know a little long on this one a little short on that one and i think brady's starting to get to that point where his feel throwing the ball down the field he's under throwing remember you saw this uh two weeks ago or monday night whatever it was overthrowing passes that are open underthrowing other ones and just the field down the field it's not an arm strength thing it's just off and something's different and there have been a few opportunities for the bucks to make plays downfield. brady's missed them and then again when they do make the play it's negated by a penalty it's one of those years where everything seems to be going wrong for the bucks except in those
1: last second heroic situations yeah that's the thing though that makes me it feels a lot to me a lot less like brady is done you know brady's reached the cliff or he's reached the the stumble before the cliff the part of the peyton manning 2014 season it feels more to me like brady from the 2019 patriots you know the supporting yeah. cast around him was so bad that brady was looking bad Because people were writing him off then, remember? For sure. Like, obviously, 2014 was the first Brady uh, demise. Uh, And then he went on. Like, the last time Brady's looked this washed, he was about to go 12-4 and and win a Super Bowl. Like, you know, we're on to Cincinnati. And then from that moment on, boom. Then there was the 2019 year where their offensive line was garbage. No receiver. The offensive line was bad. No receivers were able to get open at all. And everything looked terrible. This feels like that year where it's like Brady's still pretty much the same, but he's playing worse because everybody around him is bad and he's trying to make things happen or trying to mitigate it, trying to do whatever he can to offset the bad. And that, I think, is what we're looking at here is that, yeah, he's he's not playing particularly well, but it's not necessarily his fault. It's because he's trying to make up for the deficiencies of everybody around him. And at some point, that just causes you to make more mistakes than you would if everything was going well.
0: It's also interesting because the names are still there, right? Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones. But Julio's clearly not the same player. Sure. Chris Godwin, even though, like I thought he'd started to turn a corner a few weeks ago, catching some back shoulders, not just catching screens and underneath stuff. But you see, Godwin's not, he's not getting open the way he used to. And for whatever reason, Brady and Evans are off. And Evans has always been such a weird receiver where it feels like he's struggling to get open, but he gets open, right? And, but... That part's not even there this year outside of you know, the busted coverage yesterday. Also
1: in this game, by the way, Brady hit his hand on a guy's helmet um, sometime early in the third yeah. quarter and then in the next five minutes proceeded to throw two ridiculous and then thro- interceptions. Then throws two interceptions. I don't know if they're yeah. connected or not, but the man's 45 years old and he just cracked his hand off somebody's helmet. It wouldn't shock me if that hand wasn't 100% at that point in the game. Also, this game featured one of the greatest single acts of restraint. It wasn't even in the game. That I've ever seen from a player. Dre Greenlaw, who picked off Tom Brady, went and got him to sign the football after the game. <laughs> Can you imagine Tom Brady has just just been embarrassed on TV, national TV, in his homecoming, you know, back to the 49ers, the boyhood dream team, the the stadium of of everything. This is my childhood. He was there during the catch, the Dwight Clark yeah. thing. He was Apparently at that game. This is a big return. Right. Goes back to that stadium, gets embarrassed, absolutely stumped by Mr. Irrelevant, by the way. The the Fox broadcast, the local Fox broadcast, cut away from this game because Mr. Irrelevant was like waterboarding the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, so bad that they're like, you know what? We're done. We're out of here. We're on the next game. And then at the end of it all, a linebacker that he threw the ball to comes up and asks him to sign it for him. And he did it. He just went, yeah, okay, fine. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty impressed by that. I, I can have imagined, I would have understood entirely if Brady had reacted to that quite badly and told the linebacker no. where to go. Whatever. He's lost enough games through the years. You know how to handle it, I think. He's not lost one of these, though.
0: So Brock Purdy's going to end up with a really good grade, played really well and i mean a good grade what did i do i'm on the wrong number here pretty good there it is uh a good grade he did get away with the one pass that was negated the interception but another another you know bobby slowick kyle shanahan all those guys Mm. doing it again man um the one other thing vita vea gets hurt for the Bucks. their run defense has not been nearly as good this year or vita but man the niners just dominated again up front i mean there was there was holes to run through. Yeah, their defense everything was bad. that the Niners did offensively worked. Yeah, um, and the Bucks are weird defensively, right? They've had games like this where they look horrible right. across the board, but this was one of those games. The Niners, they were hitting. Man, they, can they can they run this through to the Super Bowl? Debo got hurt. Yes, um, it looks like a high ankle sprain for Debo. But this was a game where all of those guys, right? Kittle's making plays over the middle. Ayuk, McCaffrey, Debo—the one you always. Yearn for, Sam. Mm. All the playmakers doing their thing. Which has happened a few times this year. Yeah. Maybe not lighten up the stat sheet. McCaffrey's got most of the stats. But you saw, like they all took turns making plays, converting for first downs. Yep. Didn't the Niners... Like, how telling is this game for what they can do with Brock Purdy here down the stretch? Brock was... Dude, but he was impressive, too. Yeah. A couple off-schedule plays. He These got the good. touchdown run. He rolled out, juked uh, maybe Tryon Shoyanka, I believe it was. Purdy's adding. I'm not saying he's adding something that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have, because he's probably subtracting from stuff yeah. that Jimmy G brought too. Think... But he is adding a few more of the off schedule plays.
1: I don't think Jimmy G is the correct uh, comparison for Brock Purdy in terms of where he is. I think what's more relevant is he has looked a step above the Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard's of the world. Like this isn't the drop off from Jimmy G to those guys. It's it's closer than that. Like yeah. he is he's doing more impressive things. Uh, in terms of full reads, in terms of off-structured plays. Like, he's doing things that those guys weren't, which I think makes it a lot more likely that the 49ers can do damage with him there. The real problem I think they're going to run into is apparently at some point Jimmy G is going to be available for them again in the playoffs. Maybe. I feel like Shanahan was trying to downplay that. Maybe, bit. but if they end up in a situation a bit like the Browns where their starter technically is healthy again, like we've seen when Jimmy G isn't 100% healthy, he tends to play a lot worse than he usually does. So if you're faced with, right, technically, Jimmy G's cleared. He can come back. You got one game left. It's the playoffs. Any game could be your last game. This is easy. Do you go away from Brock Purdy for your starter?
0: If the offense is humming like this, no, you stick with
1: Purdy. I don't think they will, though. No, they will. This is a completely different situation from the Browns. I mean, it's different from the Browns, but the point is, Jimmy G is your starter. Like, you're not... Brock Purdy is Mr. Irrelevant,
0: but there's no ties to Jimmy G as your starter. They were they they were punting him out the building,
1: right? But then they weren't punting him out the building because he was looking really good. Yeah, but if you're getting the
0: same exact success with Brock Purdy as you're getting with Jimmy Garoppolo, if that's happening five weeks from now, I don't know. The Niners are like, we'll take Brock Purdy, Jimmy G. You're back to our, you're back to the best backup in the league, maybe once again. All right, Sunday Night Football, Los Angeles Chargers twenty-three, Dolphins seventeen. I mean, it felt like the Chargers won by 80, but um,
1: they kept it close. They kept it close. Tyreek Hill kept it close.
0: Tyreek Hill did keep it close. Um, What a ridiculous game. Um, Chris kept reiterating, like, what's happening in this football game? There's a lot of weird stuff. And then the weirdest thing happened, the uh, 56-yard fumble recovery Mm. by Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Um, So there was a point, various things happened in this game. There was a point in this game where Tua Tunga-Vailoa was 3 for 17 passing. Yes. His fourth completion went for 60 yards for a touchdown um, to Tyree Kill. There was a point in this game where the Dolphins had about 40 yards of offense, but there was a fumble that was batted backwards that Tyree Kill just happened to pick up and run for 56 yards. So there's a point where the Dolphins had 40-something yards of offense and 56 yards of a fumble return for a touchdown as their only score. And a
1: lot of stuff was happening here. Now, it's important we clarify what type of rugby play that was specifically, because it wasn't a scrum. Okay. But also it wasn't a mall. Maul's got mall, the pile is upright and it's moving, right? This was a collapsed pile on the floor. So this was a ruck. It was a ruck. Yeah. So the ball squirted out of the ruck, which means that Tyree Kill wasn't offside. There's was no problem there. Yeah. Now look, technically, a lot of people going off their feet at the ruck, that's not allowed. And we got we got hands in the ruck, that's illegal as well. So there's a couple of penalties you could have thrown. But once the ball was Terry out, McCauley on that. I don't know. I don't know. Terry Terry I mean Terry dropped the ball on that one. But once the ball squirted out of the ruck Tyreek kills well within his rights to pick it up and run for 56 yards and a touchdown.
0: We need you in the booth with Terry. That's what I'm saying. I did, I did. We tried to get to NBC. I don't know who we have to tag over here. Who we do we also, have to talk to at NBC to get Sam in the booth, Sunday Night Football, as the rugby expert?
1: I mean, look, we, we did amazing things a few weeks ago. We, we corrected Chris when we got him to correctly identify a mall instead of a scrum, you know, on the broadcast, on yeah. Sunday Night Football, this happened. We did text him yesterday, and we're like, okay, that one's not a scrum or a mall; it's a it's a ruck. But I, I don't think the man checks his phones or checks his phone during the uh, the game. So we might—I I don't know—that's if going to come up again. You know, he might, but from people who are like giving him information that he wants. That's he true. Needs. Yeah, there's probably a screening process that eliminates us.
0: <laughs> we need a um, we need a solo shot of Chris coming back, like after commercial. He's Steve
1: like, and Sam text. I'm not here. I screen uh, it.
0: I regretfully announced that I I called. Uh, a ruck, a uh, wall,
1: Yeah. Or a scrum. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to, uh, to backtrack. Hmm. That was a ruck. So if we take away the ruck, the one bomb to Tyreek Hill, Tua is what, nine? Nine for 27, 27 for like for 80 yards or so. Yikes. And no touchdowns.
0: Yeah. So the Chargers, so last week, right? I think it was Ben Solak. Did Ben Solak write the article about the middle of the field? and how the Dolphins had just been magicians in the middle of the field, and they were Mm -hmm. going up against the 49ers where Fred Warner resides, and they don't give anything up in the middle. And you kind of saw that last week. And then in this one, you saw the Chargers playing a lot of, they were just man coverage. They were pressing Tyreek, just disrupting him just enough. And we've seen press coverage go south on Tyreek Hill before, right? Jalen Ramsey, a couple years back, tried to to press Tyreek Hill, and it was bad. But the Chargers in this one depleted, missing all their players, which, um, which is fun for football sometimes. The team that has no players decides they're going to play awesome with players that aren't supposed to be starters. But they're pressing, they're playing man coverage, they're playing inside leverage a ton, and the Dolphins are unable to adjust. And I don't know, Tua was just, he was way off accuracy-wise. But the, uh, on a bunch of throws, but there was other throws where the Chargers were, were just all over Dolphins' receivers. Their aggressive man coverage was outstanding against the Dolphins, and I, I am very slow, very slow, to overreact and talk about blueprints and, and stuff like that, but yeah. uh, we're a little b- blueprinty here, right? Blueprint-y. A little blueprinty here against the Dolphins. I'm not saying, if you press Tyree Kill and don't have help over the top, like, bad stuff can happen over time, but throwing off the timing of this offense that is so predicated on timing and rhythm and to his quick quick release and all that stuff, taking the, the oceans that he's been throwing into and tightening those up completely changed this Dolphins' offense. And that's why it was such a, a difficult time. And the only time they had success is when,
1: you know, the
0: cornerback falls down on a 60 yarder.
1: Mm. I think there were plays to be made though. Like this is a little bit, I don't it's not quite as much as Last week, I think... I'm overreacting to the blueprint? Uh, maybe a little bit. I, last week, I think there was definitely an element of Teron Armstead wasn't there, two was rattled early, and two was off completely. Like, he was just missing throws that were there. Um, it's not like they eliminated everything and there was nowhere to go and he didn't, had, never had a shot. Like, he was missing wide-open throws to guys. Um, this week was fascinating because... So, the Chargers are down several players, including, by the way, the player... Whose name was mentioned on this podcast by a certain person over there weeks ago, and is now injured and not playing. Weeks ago, anyway, they're down players, so the Chargers or the, the Dolphins rather decide to open the game with three straight passes. The first of which is one of the most mean-spirited targeted attacks on an individual backup I think I've ever seen. Where they're like, "Oh, the the player not playing anymore? You got a, a young, inexperienced safety in the back end, huh?" Yeah. Interesting. How about we put Tyree Kill in motion from the opposite side of the, of the field yep. to isolate him on that safety, give him a running start down the sideline. Let's see how that goes for you. And apparently it went pretty well. The backup safety ends up sticking with him just enough to to be able to break up the pass and and turn what could have been an absolute could have been a first play bomb touchdown oh. into a pass breakup and you know second and ten so they go he
0: Gilman with the game of his life right in this one and started on that very first
1: play so they start off with like Mike McDaniel you know absolutely zeroed in like the the target the crosshairs on the right guy who ends up making the play they go three and out they don't get it done the Chargers keep their first drive alive through several like ridiculous third downs conversions end up getting they go for fourth down don't quite get it looks for all the world like it should have been a touchdown um couldn't make it happen. The receiver kind of made a mess of his feet, gets tackled. But then they did start clamping down on the, the middle of the field. But I think, again, a lot of it, like, there were throws to be made and Tua wasn't making them.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, he did miss throws for sure. Um, but I was, imp- I was impressed with the Chargers, again, just kind of messing up some timing there. Um, on the other side, it was, it was all Justin Herbert as far as the offense for the, for the Chargers. Threw the ball over 50 times. And Mike Williams. In Mike Williams, that, um, the touchdown to Mike Williams, beautiful throws, the, Herbert's two big-time throws. You get the touchdown to Mike Williams, and nobody runs the uh, half-roll throwback like Justin Herbert for 55 yards. Another beautiful throw, bomb. Um, but again, other than that, there's a lot of short stuff for the Chargers. Average depth of target. If I told you around draft time, mm-hmm. right, it's, turn back the clock, it's twenty twenty, and we're going to watch a football game. It's 2 averse Hairline. Herb. Yeah. Tua versus Herbert, and one of the quarterbacks is going to have an average depth of target of 5.9, and the other one's going to be at 13.8. Yeah. Who would you choose? Not the way right. it actually happened. So, I mean, that's the other thing for the Dolphins. Tua just kept he had the 13.8, by the way. Tua keeps throwing the ball down the field, throwing the ball down the field. The Dolphins, it did feel like they may have given up on the easy stuff, the short stuff. And you know, scheme something open you know run a run a pick play run a run a few more rubs whatever it might be run a screen when you run a screen against man all you have to do is get the guy you know the running backs man right you just have to get alignment to him and you're pretty much winning the play do something else to create some easy throws but two is throwing the ball down the field a ton and then you have the chargers who once again it's like all right they're going to dominate this game they're going to do it and then they have the, they go for it on fourth down but their third and fourth down play call were both screens on from the 2 or 3 yard line that don't get into the end zone. Um so the Chargers feel like hey they could they're always leaving a little meat on the bone, right? Then they almost fumbled at the end as well.
1: Yeah, and also like where did the RPOs go in this game for Miami? Like they've been carving teams up with those RPOs this season. They ran like 3 of them in the game. Yeah, I don't know. And the and the Chargers actually stopped the run in this game. Yeah. Again, despite that that's the thing they can't do almost always and that was everybody in the broadcast was calling for them to run the ball more like this is the chargers let's run the ball yeah you think over time you're
0: gonna have some success there against the chargers who had really struggled there and they did not yeah um we did have somebody point out to us that um in our rebrand of analytics we have to highlight the wins okay right so highlighting the wins just before the half the chargers are up 10 to 7 they go for it on fourth and one right so you're up 10 to seven there's 21 seconds left in the half if you don't and they go for it on fourth and one you have an easy three they give up the three to go for seven they get the seven to go up 17 to seven just before the half the before the half go for it's are interesting because again you don't get the benefit of field position if you don't make it yeah right you get the benefit obviously of the p- chasing seven points you don't get the benefit of, oh good, we win the field position battle. This is either you're getting three or you're getting seven. Or you're yeah. getting zero or you're getting seven That's when you make one, this decision.
1: That decision is one where the only scenario where it's worth it to go for it is where it's basically is it um more is it fifty-fifty or better to convert? Because yeah. if it if it is, then you're you have a chance of getting seven versus three, and the fifty-fifty makes it worthwhile to do that. If it isn't You're actually better off taking the three because you're less likely to hit the the 50. You're less likely to get the seven points than you like once every other try. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's one of the ones where it literally is just the difference of like what, which specific play are we more likely to get, or are we as likely to get than not? Because those you go for it. Anything else, no. You get Austin Eckler, um,
0: nice run to get into the end zone. Second effort gets in, so they get up 17 to seven um the Dolphins finally get on the board offensively with the 60 yarder to Tyreek kill Michael Davis falls down on the play they tra- uh Chargers kick a couple more field goals and again the Dolphins kick a 55 yarder just to get within six everybody's waiting for the Chargers to do their thing late <laughs> Justin Herbert does drop a snap to maybe give the Dolphins some life but the Chargers yeah. recovered and then the onside kick that the Dolphins had after their field goal Chargers muff it but they ended up recovering it as well so could have been pretty dramatic at the end there. Um, the other thing that's happened here, because this is what we do, um, Justin Herbert and Tua Tungavailoa, I don't know if you knew, but they were drafted one spot apart. Tua five, Herbert six. So we have to debate who's better, and we have to have takes okay. on who's better. And this game is the only game that will ever define whether one guy's better than the other. Oh. I'd also like to correct myself. This is their second matchup. I thought it was their first yeah. from the preview show. My, my apologies. I don't know everything. I'm getting older, too. So, um, I'm not mentioning the dude that made it into a big deal. Colin Colin Herbert a social media quarterback and all that stuff. The dude. The guy that shall remain nameless. Yeah. Let's not even tease that. Okay. So, I'm going to give my nuanced take. Right. Right. In the debate of Herbert versus Tua, I think as well as Tua's played this year, I believe it's fair to say that the situation has been grand for him and Tyree Kill and all that stuff. I would take Justin Herbert over Tua based off the body of work that I've seen in the NFL so far. I also believe that last night's result was not the nail in the coffin in any sort of debate over this guy and that guy and who's good and who. It's like, well, there it is. It just happened. We all watched it Sunday Night Football. That's the defining game. I mean, that's not true either. But yes, Herbert was better
1: and has been better than Tua over the course of their careers. Yeah, I think it's telling that in the last couple of weeks where apparently if you listen to Steve Palazzolo, a blueprint has been established for combating the Miami offense that Tua has played like crap. <laughs> like, you know, if you're... Because before, everything's going amazingly. You know, Tyree Kill's on pace for 2,000 yards. Mike McDaniel looks like a genius. Tua's playing out of his mind. He's the number one graded quarterback of the NFL. At that point, you're like, well, how much of... If, if there's a credit pie, you know, what slice, what size slice is each one of these people getting? You know, how much credit goes to Tyreek? How much credit goes to the offensive line in Tron Armstead? How much to McDaniel? How much to Tua? Well, the defenses in the NFL appear to be causing problems for the offense all of a sudden. So you've almost sort of eliminated the Mike McDaniel factor. The Tyreek thing is still there, and Tua's playing badly now. So that's, that doesn't exactly give a, a giant ringing endorsement to him being the driving force behind this. Um, And it kind of puts Miami in a bit of a bind now because all of a sudden you're a couple of games back from Buffalo, albeit with a game against them coming up. Um, Things aren't working well. And this feels like Mike McDaniel running into the first version of the thing that caused Sean McVay problems for years. I was going to make that comparison. Which is where two-thirds through the season, all of a sudden defenses have figured out what you're doing and have come up with a plan to stop you. Now you've got to adjust to the adjustment. Can you do that? Because McVeigh couldn't for years. And it was like, we run into this point of the season and McVeigh doesn't have adjustments to the adjustments and it it stops functioning as well. Well, now, for the first time, McDaniel has that task of all of a sudden, teams have have figured out something. And now you've got to come up with something different. You've got to counterpunch. And we're going to see now, down the stretch, can he find the counterpunch to what's happening? Because whether it's coincidence, whether it's matchup or whether it is a blueprint right now the Miami offense looks like crap and it's not working the way it did again
0: i don't want to i don't want to oversimplify the blueprint stuff it's not like the chargers just went and played man the entire time they did a little bit more disguising they just they were a little bit more competitive at the line of scrimmage from a press coverage standpoint and then got into their coverages whether it was cover 2 cover 3 whether it was one you know actual man they just did a better job there I think the McVay comparison is a good one though that was 2018 it was right it was this week right week 14 Sunday night football the Bears had answers for the Rams that was actually and that was Brandon Staley Mm -hmm. ironically right it was Brandon Staley in his defense uh, or he was on the, the staff with Vic Fangio and they had answers for Jared Goff's Rams McVay's Rams and the Rams still went to the Super Bowl, by the way, that year. You're saying they didn't, like, fix their offense for two years. They weren't as dominant, right? They they weren't as good. Because teams just had some better answers for them. And they had games where they were completely shut down, like the Bears game Sunday Night Football, like the Super Bowl. Like
1: the Super Bowl, Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty pretty important game. But they
0: got to the Super Bowl, right? They beat the Saints in the NFC Championship to get to the Super Bowl. It's not like the Rams just collapsed and
1: never won a game. I don't expect that to happen for the Dolphins. They did beat the Saints. It did, however, require one of the worst no calls in NFL history to make happen.
0: Whatever, they were in overtime against the Saints. Again, let's not act like the Rams scored three points per game for the rest of the
1: McVay era until Stafford showed
0: up. Let's not let's not do that okay so anyway it's an interesting storyline here and now the Dolphins go to Buffalo and I'm rooting for I want to see it the 40 mile an hour wins and all that stuff because <laughs> yesterday yesterday did feel like first two years of Tua where it's like okay now the arm like the arm strength thing where he doesn't have a ton of zip on the ball I mean that's it's magnified by a thousand when there's a defender within a step yeah. isn't it right it like just when reduces, it's closer
1: it it reduces your margin for error you have to be perfect like the they were bringing up uh, on the broadcast last night the Kurt Warner had essentially been like oh it reminds me of me you know my my offense the greatest show on turf it was all timing I didn't have to fire the ball in there like a rocket you know that's not how it works it was timing I put the ball in the right spot at the right time and guys made plays it's like sure but if you don't have the capacity of firing it in there like a laser the, your margin for error is tiny. And if teams figure out how to disrupt the timing, now you're screwed because you don't, you, you're throwing it to a spot at, a, at the right time and the whole thing breaks down if you're able to disrupt that timing. So that, I think, is the big concern there. But what I think is significant is just the presence of Tyreek Hill. Because this game, this was like a Denver game this season where it's like this offense could spend the next three weeks and never score. But they had 14 points because Tyreek Hill decided on two occasions that I'm just going to be Tyreek Hill and make a play. And in that regard, he reminds me of like Randy Moss or Barry Sanders where you can take them out of the game for most of it, but, if, but it only takes one. It takes one mistake, one moment of lack of concentration and you forget about them and blip, touchdown. Yeah. Like, that's what you're looking at here, where even if you figure out how to stop the offense or, you know, cause them problems or make a play badly, all it takes is one play where Tyreek Hill just decides, Nah, no, you're not going to, I'm, I'm going to do it this time. You you switched off for a brief moment and boom. And that was Randy Moss. That was Barry Sanders where you'd spend the entire week game planning how to corral this guy in, how to get everybody, pen you know, pen him down, how to not give up, contain, and then, Barry Sanders would just go out there and beat Barry Sanders and you would make you look ridiculous for a play and score a touchdown. You're like, I, there's nothing you can do. He's just that good. And Tyreek Hill is that freaking dangerous on every single snap. It is so hard to stop that from hurting you all game.
0: By the way, Tyreek Hill also had an ankle injury. Yeah. And he was off the field toward the end of the game and limping pretty noticeably. You know, so he gets, if his legs are banged up, I mean, he he's got a few steps that he can afford to lose and still be the fastest, but right. obviously that affects things too. So I'm looking forward to see the counter punches coming out from uh, Mike McDaniel, Tua, and the Dolphins. They fall to eight and five, still a game ahead of the Chargers in you know wild card battles and all that stuff. The Dolphins still in line to make the playoffs, but it's a tough road, man.
1: All of a sudden, Justin Jefferson is now um, the receiver that leads the NFL in yardage. Where everyone was talking about Tyreek Hill being the first guy to break 2,000 yards in a season. Well, Jefferson's got four games to get 500 now to get there. We just added, you know, just gained about a buck 20 on him yesterday. Yeah. Um, and from a
0: Chargers perspective, good to see. You know, Keenan Allen had 12 catches for just 92 yards, but seeing him in his possession role, Mike Williams making his big plays, the Chargers getting healthier at the right time
1: with all their receivers coming together and everything. Mike Williams makes a huge difference on offense. This yes, like he he provides something different that isn't there in this offense when. When he's not on the field, like when he's there, all of a sudden Justin Jefferson or not Justin Jefferson, Justin Herbert has those plays where he's like, yeah, yeah, it's my it's Mike Williams. He's probably going to make the play. You just heave it up. And then well, then your Josh Palmer's and Gerald Everett's and DeAndre Carter's are really nice complementary pieces, not the pieces. And that catch in the end zone, like again, that was that was quite Randy Moss like as well, where he's just tracking the ball over his shoulder, catches it. Dots the two feet, you know, perfect sort of body control, hand-eye coordination stuff. What's funny about Randy Moss, and this is why he had 42 touchdowns as opposed to Justin Jefferson's 21 in the same three-year period, that there's like three different ways where Randy Moss was peerless, right? There's like the Moss, the classic you got Moss, where he goes up over a DB, takes it away from them. That's the thing that he's most known for. There's also the, oh, you run a 4-3? Well, I'm just going to run right by you like you're not even there, and just run past, you know, 60-yard touchdown, like where he did D'Angelo Hall. There's a, a highlight reel. D'Angelo Hall ran like a 4-3-1, and Moss, he's playing like eight yards off. Moss just literally runs right past him like he isn't even there, scores a touchdown without being touched. So that's number two. And then there's number three, the absurd like back-of-the-end zone, you know, body control, toe-tapping catches where he had like the one yesterday from Mike Williams. Like those are three ways where Randy Moss was basically the best guy in the NFL at all three of those, which is why he's, you know, one of the greatest receivers of all time. That's it. You just want to... We have a whole podcast on Randy Moss. We do. You should go check
0: that out in the archives as well. Search it. That was well done. But we just rehashed most of it. How special Randy Moss is. Man. All right, that's it. We don't have to get all the way to the, this is the 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 shortest week of the year. We still made it two and a half hours. We gave everybody proper love. We even talked up the Lions we in did. this one. We gave them proper credit, I believe. I and mean, we still feels like we may have missed some stuff. Who knows? People will let us hear about it. I'm sure. This was great. Go check out the PFF app. Speaking of great, go check it out. Download the PFF app right now. Get all your bets, fantasy. Sam's writing. Get it all good. Get it all right now. PFF app. Hit that thumbs up on the way out if you're on YouTube. We appreciate everybody because we get we get our best crowd on a Monday morning. It's you know the beginning of the work week. People wake up and and uh, join P- the, the PFF NFL podcast, and we appreciate that. So. Um, that's it for us. We got Monday Night Football, Patriots Cardinals. Everybody enjoy that. And then we'll be back again on Wednesday where we'll uh, recap Monday
1: Night Football, mm-hmm. put the Broncos to bed, and uh, talk about also about the whole sorts of other stuff, emails and the whole thing. Yep, email us in NFLpodcast at pff.com. All right, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on Wednesday.